to go to there. Snipe! Salt and women, I just couldn't resist it. doesn't like coffee ice cream. Hi, for those of you who just tuned in, everyone here is a crazy person. Are we having fun yet? <laughs> yes! Nice. 30 Helens agree. Never mind. Maybe the dingo ate your baby. It's a cunning plan, actually. Would you believe it? And you beautiful tropical fish. Don't mention the war. Clear eyes, put hearts <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound On Sites TV podcast. This is Kate Kalsik and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? I think I think we're both a little wiped today. Yeah. I think it's I think it's safe to say uh things th- things are getting hectic. Uh it's also been a hard day for all people who enjoy things. Um maybe. I don't know. It's weird. I feel like um uh this is kind of like <laughs> How can I say this in a non-spoilery way? This was sort of like watching the end of Game of Thrones and being like, ah, oh, and then, ah, because that's how I feel about the the Hannibal cancellation of like, oh no, but, hmm, I don't know. I don't yeah. know how to feel about this yet. So for those who don't know, uh, Hannibal has been canceled by NBC. It will not be getting picked up for a season four, which was just like a punch to the gut today because i was not expecting to hear either way until much later in the season mm-hmm. so that would just like out of nowhere just like crush your dreams uh because... to be honest though <laughs> I, I like it better this way i like that there wasn't the wait of like waiting to find out and then the like cr- i i way prefer the like sucker punch approach uh, over the bunheads like you know slow starve you out kind of thing oh, this was way better way better well and the other reason this is better is that we're I think I can speak for you, right? We're both pretty secure that somebody's gonna pick this up, right? This really feels to me like a perfect time, perfect thing for Amazon to pick up. They already streamed the first couple of seasons, but it just it's a place that people don't think of. They have transparent, but outside of that, nobody thinks of Amazon as a destination. So that's sort of what I'm anticipating. It just seems very likely to me that this is going... like It just seems like it's too good. Like how If NBC was able to air it, and pick it up for a third season when nobody watched the first two. They can't have been paying very much for it. I mean, we can say all the things we want. It it may make perfect sense to us uh, for Amazon to pick it up to play to be the asshole for a minute. Um, you know, Amazon does have a bunch of shows already. They don't have it a lot that are available now, but they have a lot in the pipeline. Um, they've already got Transparent, which would, which I assume we back later this year. Um, they have the man in the high castle, which I think we're all hoping will be really good when it gets uh, its full season. They've got some other stuff down the pike, Woody Allen, um, and we're, some other shows. We're not remembering that. That's what I'm doing. I know, I know. But I'm saying, I'm just saying, they have programming. Um, they may not be out for buying more programming right now. I'm just saying this may be a possibility. The reason I'm saying these things is because hey, Hannibal got three seasons. A Brian Fuller thing got three seasons. That's really good. Yeah, and three completely uncensored, as far as these things go, seasons of Hannibal, you know, where they yeah. really let him do basically whatever he wanted. Uh, and and the, what we have gotten has been tremendous. So I really hope we're getting more because I think there's a lot more story to tell if they want to. Um, and it just sort of it. I've just got come to the point where I just kind of take it for granted because they make it on such a shoestring. And because it's so damn good and because 
pretty much all of the people agree who can who the people for whom it is a show that they can watch that they don't have a problem with um we pretty much all agree that it's an amazing show so it, it feel is I, I i was enjoying basically Todd Vanderwerf a fan, um friend of the show was tweeting out gather around children let me tell you about that time that, that HBO canceled Deadwood <laughs> and it broke <laughs> me so it feels very much like one of those where you're like but this show's amazing why would you cancel it um right but yeah, if it if it does only get three seasons, it's had three, uh, two tremendous seasons, and so far three episodes that I've thought have been really great. So uh, I've no no uh, qualms or no doubts that it's going to end very well, because I that seems like the kind of thing that Fuller would do is make sure he ends it in a way that if it doesn't get picked up, it can be satisfying. But um, but yeah, if nothing else, really good show for three seasons. I'm already anticipating if Fuller thinks if Fuller has any inkling that maybe this is the end, I'm pretty sure he's just going to go hog wild with it. And I already kind of can't wait. <laughs> yeah, that's true. The, like what could come from this being the end of the show is uh, if if they can't they're they're working on deals, various deals right now. But if they if nothing comes together, they should theoretically know that before they finish the show so yeah that would i'm i'm assuming affect things quite a bit but anyways that is that is our tv news for this week i also want to mention um of course i i stumbled across there's this group called the london tv club um they're on twitter at ldn tv club london tv club um who get together in north london and at a pub and talk about tv and stuff and they put out a post of their six favorite podcasts tv podcasts and we're number one Simon, we're number one. What? Yes. And you know who else is on there? Uh, this is our design, which I'm obviously rather partial to being a co-host of it. Um, but uh, Camille Nanjiani's X-Files Files, the Gilmore Guys podcast, the Volta, like, these are really quality, like, amazing podcasts. So, I, like, anybody who wants to put the televerse in the same breath as the X-Files Files, which I've been rapidly listening to for the past, like, two weeks, I'm almost caught up with it. Um that just is a wonderful, very kind thing. So thank you, London TV Club. And if there are any other, that's the sound of one hand clapping for those curious. Sorry, Bart I'm Simpson. trying to make it louder, but my hand's like really weak right now it's from just holding not gonna... this heavy microphone. <laughs> um, but oh, this if, one's a little better. If we have any other listeners in London who are looking for people to hang out with once a month, once a month to talk about TV check out at London TV club, LDN TV club. So, or London TV club.com. Same, same, you know, abbreviation, but yeah. So that was, that was a fun little thing. By the way, London TV club, if you ever feel like, you know, flying us to London, we will, <laughs> fr we will beyond airfare free of charge appear at your TV club and really? talk to you about, you will, yeah, and talk to you about anything, not just television. We will talk wow. about anything. So you generous. Can a list. You, can, you can provide a list of topics if you want. <laughs> uh, I, I think we can – is it – we haven't discussed this yet, but I think we can buy our own pints, right? We, we can oh, handle yes. that? Oh, so yes. Okay. Uh, we can get – if they're going to fly us to London, I think we can get around. Okay. That seems like that's yeah. fair. But um, but no, anyway, so that was cool. Um, and also cool is that this week we're talking Babylon 5 in the DVD shelf. Uh, happy to have Roan Kaiser from the AV Club um, on the podcast to help us talk about it. Because uh, this is a show that I really enjoyed. It was one of the first sci-fi shows that I watched pretty religiously growing up in, in like in middle school and high school. So um, that was a lot of fun. That's coming at the end of the podcast. Um, but we should get into our week of TV. It's going to be a bit lopsided this week. 
Um, some stuff I didn't get to, some stuff Simon didn't get to. So only a few things that we've both seen, but we'll do our best to keep it entertaining for you gentle listeners. I'm going to try out a new format for this, and we're going to frame it like an interview. It's an so, interview. It's a television interview. Yeah, okay. That's right. So I, I the the ignorant interviewer will be asking especially about comedies this week which there's a bunch i missed out on and a lot of it frankly i'm not sad to have missed out on uh we'll get there (laughs) but yeah so that's coming uh so now we'll take a break and we'll be back with our week in comedy Comedy and reality. I'm going to preview another period, the new show for Comedy Central. Talk a little bit about the So You Think You Can Dance LA auditions, and then talk a little on Real Mother, Children's Hospital, Home Life of a Doctor, and Kick Me, which apparently season finale of Children's Hospital. Uh, we didn't talk about last week, but I wanted to mention that as well. So that's why we have the two episodes this week. Then the Ballers pilot, the Brink pilot, and then we'll talk a little bit about Catastrophe season one, which is a UK show that just um, got added to Amazon that we both have seen. Yay. So you said there's a new format here this week that we're trying out. Uh, this is the first time hearing of it, but I'm excited. So why don't why don't you take over? And uh, the first show that we're talk is, uh, about is Another Period, which is starting on Comedy Central this week. Okay, Another Period. Uh, you first told me about this show. Uh, I, th- I think pretty much as soon as you learned it existed, about a month and a half ago or so. Uh, why did you care about this show existing? I cared about the show existing because I was very excited about the cast. Um, this is from Natasha Legero and Ricky Lindholm, who are two comedians that I very much appreciate. I really liked um, uh, I really liked Ricky Lindholm last year on, on Garfunkel and Oates. And actually, there are certain segments of Garfunkel and Oates that, as I think back on them, are increasingly affecting to me. Like their um, the You Are Such a Loser song and stuff. Um, and the way they did it on the show too, not just the song, but the way they executed. There's been a few things about that show. I mean, I enjoyed it while it was on, but certain segments have stuck with me a lot more than I would have anticipated. So I was looking forward to, to it just for them. Also, the premise is it's a, uh, these two girls, it's, it's set in the 19 or turn of the 20th century. I want to say turn of the 20th century i could be wrong about that in uh and it's about these two uh young women i guess but they're 35 <laughs> um <laughs> who are um who who are heir- like heiresses to this this well-to-do family it's very much a sort of a parody of a downtown abbey kind of upstairs downstairs right. thing um and so that combination of those comedic voices with this you know anything that wants to have some fun with downtown abbey i am all on board for um i don't know people have been listening to the podcast for a while will likely remember our spotlight of shame we did on it in season like i want to say two right or did we make it to season three 
Yeah, we were calling Downton Abbey superlatively shitty way before a lot of other people were calling it superlatively shitty. Yeah, we're we're down Downton Abbey hating hipsters because we were doing it before it was cool. Yeah, exactly, and yeah. better. Yeah. Um. So <laughs> anyway, so I was looking forward to it for that. I've seen the first two, and this is a real disappointment to me. Um, I didn't think it was very funny, despite having a fantastic cast and uh, doing some things that really were quite fun, but. I did not realize it was going to be so much like a blended with these other influences, very much a like um, real housewives, Kardashian, like kind of reality show influence as well. So it's set in this time period. I mean, like Helen Keller comes over for dinner, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, but it's also very much talking heads and all this other stuff too, that really I didn't connect to. I'm not a fan of that type of, uh, of, of reality television. I haven't watched very much of it. I'm not very knowledgeable about it. So it's harder for that, those jokes to really land for me. And, um, there's just some other stuff, um, in the second episode. I mean, I, I have trouble and, and they, I would need to rewatch the second episode to have too much of a, thesis on this but the second episode has a extended sequence where a male character gets raped and it's supposed to be hilarious and funny and i get what they're doing with it and i get that they're aware and they're making a choice and they're going for something but i just don't think i just don't think rape jokes where the point of the joke is laughing at the victim is funny and so that just really turned me off of the second episode, um, despite the ways that they tried to like reference back and call back to it and ended up making fun of the culture surrounding victims and what happens to victims. The fact that they made the, so much of that episode and the early part of it, just like, oh, it's hilarious because it's a guy. And if you t reverse the genders, we'd be horrified. But mm -hmm. especially when um, there are still so many people who think it's physically impossible for a man to be raped. And it's such a topic that it comes up so rarely in our cultural conversation. That's just for me. And again, if there was other stuff that was so funny that I was laughing constantly, it would have been like, this is a risky show and it may be offensive, but it also does things. That's what I would be saying. But for me, I wasn't right. laughing enough for me to be willing to, or be interested in, in, experimenting with the show beyond that and, and and seeing what they would do next other people will not have that problem but for me that definitely turned me off but i i'm sure other people will like the show um mike lee and black is having a lot of fun as the head butler he's pretty delightful christina Hendricks shows up as chair she gets renamed chair by ricky lindholm because um, she's a servant so she doesn't get to be Celine anymore, something like that, uh, in a rather delightful sequence. Um, there's, so there is some really good stuff in here, but just as a whole, it didn't come together for me in the way I was hoping. And I think that difference in tone and in influence from, I think, my expectations or when I was hearing about it, I, I, I think I probably shot myself in the foot with this one a bit, building up right. expectations and hopes for it. I also, and not having seen this, I feel like if you're on Comedy Central and you're A, it's a stacked lineup as it is for uh, for original programming, and B, if you're going to attempt uh, a reality show um, parody homage of any kind, like, you're coming right after Crawl Show. Exactly. So, yeah. you'd, you'd best come heavy. Yeah. And again, maybe there's a lot of, you know, maybe that's on that level. I just don't have the background or the basis. I don't have the vocabulary for this mm -hmm. type of reality show. I don't, I don't watch a lot of the kind of reality shows that Kroll Show parody, but I, I was a lot more familiar with that stuff. So I was a lot, it, there was, that was much more accessible to me. So that's where I'm at with another period. I really do appreciate and respect the, the comedic voices or I, I, their other work. I've appreciated those, those um, writers in other 
ven- uh, other ventures. But just for me, this did not come together in a way that I was hoping, and I probably will not be keeping up with the show. Are you expecting to watch uh, to check this one out? Because I know other people are more positive on it than I am. Um, we'll see. I feel like a, a lot of the Comedy Central shows have sort of started off shaky, uh, especially the pilots, and then have tended to get a lot better. Uh, they they don't have any original shows. I don't at least find quasi interesting. I didn't even like Big Time in Hollywood, Florida, but I at least appreciated that it did its thing in a very committed way. Um, so I I would be surprised if it didn't improve somewhat. But I'll I'll, I'll I'm gonna have to keep my ear to the ground. Yeah, and again, if they if they pivot and they they steer more into the you know the Michael Ian Black corner of the show over some of these other elements um that would pro- likely be more successful for for me for my particular type of humor or in the sense of humor but um but yeah i look forward to hearing what other people have to say for me there's too much other shows like i i still have to watch cucumber and banana guys um so uh that's what i'll go to next um the next show is the so you think you can dance la auditions and you're, I guess you're interviewing me still. So what? Oh, right. Yeah. What's Sorry. Your question? It, it's been like 10 minutes and I've already totally dropped the ball on this conceit that I just made up. Uh, <laughs> so you think you can dance? Uh, I hear there have been some rather good dancing parts that have been happening. Yes, there have been some rather good dancing parts that have been happening. And there were some ridiculous auditions this week in L.A. Just like insane both on the stage side and the street side. Uh, Yaya from last season is back and she killed it, man. She crushed it. She was even better this year than she was last year because along with the crump elements, there were these animation, like these little tiny isolations and ticks that were just amazing. And she does this thing where she combines this energy and this fierceness that she's this tiny, you know, like 21, 22 year old, something like that from the Czech Republic. But she has such energy and such uh, isolation. She's able to really hit these 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 movements, and she combines that sort of intensity with this lighthearted humor that comes through as well. It's just it, it's great. She's fabulous, and her audition she like killed it. There was an amazing ballet dancer who just like it's just one of those things where you look at him and you're just like, uh, how with how thighs that big and then a normal looking knee and then calves that big. And then he just like, I swear he levitated at one point. He just like floating, just leaping and like, just, just like in midair, just that slight freeze. And then it's like, you know, when you see somebody do like a jeté or a leap and they start slowing down on the way up still, you know, Mm -hmm. like, that's how controlled they are. The extension, it feels like they hover for a moment. Oh, gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous dancer. Um, the ju- one, of those, one of those times where the judges are, you know, Paula is sitting there talking about how she's got goosebumps. And I'm just like, yeah, I was ready to just start crying. It was so beautiful. I'm probably overhyping this for you. But for me, that was the experience <laughs> I was having watching this guy do his solo, his audition. And I also know that there's no way, I mean, it's very likely that he will not have a better moment than that on the show because there's no way that they're going to actually pair him with somebody and have him do ballet again. There's not going to be another ballet dancer who's good enough probably to, to go with him, especially if they wanted to, to be a, a female partner. 
Um, so he will likely not get the opportunity to really shine like that until he has another solo. Um, but it was remarkable. There was a, a very good, some very good b-boys. There were, uh, there was the Latin uh, ballroom. Or actually, I think he did the jive. There's a ballroom dancer who's tremendous, just so light on his feet, just insane. Um, the I don't know. Do you remember Lindsay and Whitney from a few years back? The two uh, Latin dancers. Yes. Yes, I do. The 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 partner who helped Lindsay audition came back because he was okay. too young at that point, and then he went on his mission uh, trip for two years, and so then now he was finally able to come on, and he killed it. He did a really good job. So there were just some fantastic auditions. There was another ballet dancer who's just like, just insane insane flexibility you know the thing where like the one foot is straight down and the other foot is straight up and their side their their body is off like at a 90 degree angle mm-hmm. yeah he did that and then he put his body up <laughs> yeah cool. I, I, yeah it's just like ridiculous and just again constant strength and control and flexibility and the lines that you can create when you have all of these things it's just remarkable so some really i mean seriously if you have any appreciation or respect for dance or athleticism or just something cool that you can't believe someone can do it check out the auditions from this past week on so you think you can dance because there were at the very just like one two three for the first handful are amazing and then the ones at the very end of the the, of the two-hour episode are also tremendous so damn well done this this last week's audit i'm still not sold on the judges i still really don't like jason derulo i still don't like the format but damn these were good auditions well that's good to hear uh what's up next up next is Unreal. Um, and I got to, of course, eat a giant serving of humble pie and eat some crow here because last week I talked about how I didn't have too hard of a time with the show's uh, morality or the ethics. Because <laughs> and this week. This week. Oh, God. Yeah. No. Well, because this week they do they do something different, which is the previous episode. And I'm. do you care if I spoil you? Do no, you, you not... go right ahead. Okay. So. Two weeks ago, we had the girl, or the not the girl, that's incredibly dismissive. We had the woman whose father dies, has a heart attack and dies, and she goes to his funeral, and then they get her to come back on the show. And I'm like, dude, your father died, and you went back on a dating show? Because he really likes you. I mean, are you... Who does that? You do not deserve my sympathy. But then in the next episode, you find out she's got an eating disorder and she's got this really severe self-esteem issues. I'm like, okay, well then that makes sense then that she would make that decision. Because until that point, they had shown her as very like the normal one, you know, very, Mm -hmm. she's a lawyer. She's very together. She's very nice and kind and, and all of this stuff. So all in this third episode, I'm like, well, shit. I am the worst because when everybody heard me saying all of this, they had already seen the third episode because it was airing while we were recording and I right. was being the worst person ever. So I had to come on and eat some crow about this episode, but I'm really, I'm really on board. Um, uh, I enjoyed this episode a lot. Uh, I'm looking forward to watching as soon as we finish recording, I'm going to watch the next, uh, this, this current week's episode that everybody will have seen by the time they hear this. Um, the performances are, are really quite, uh, engaging Sherry Appleby and Constance Zimmer continue to impress and it's just a fun show it's one of those ones that I want the next one immediately after finishing the previous one so um it's not you know it's for me it's not great art 
Who knows? It may get there, but it, this is not Hannibal. This is not, you know, saying profound things about the human condition. It's saying some interesting things, abs- absolutely, about human nature. But, um, but I just have so much fun with it. And um, when the people are being terrible, when they're being good, when they're be when they're conflicted with each other, when we have Constance Zimmer and Sherry Appleby on a couch smoking. Uh, looking at these women getting into a physical altercation and saying, why would you ever leave your home? It's so dark, but it's also, there's a warmth to it because of those two performers that really makes it work. It's just, I'm having a lot of fun with Unreal. This past week we we met um, Sherry Appleby's, her character's mom and her dad, and that gave a lot of more depth to that character as well and where she's coming from. thought it worked very well and... um, I'm not interested as much in the sort of the love triangles that they're setting up for our main character. But again, if it continues to be this much fun, I'm on board all season. Is this, yeah. does this make a little more sense for you about why? Not really I'm in the it, abstract. No, I mean, okay. I'm still, I'm still thinking about that pilot, which still kind of feels like someone took some rough sandpaper to like the back of my knee for a while. <laughs> um, you know, like one of those spots, no one ever really gets. I just like, so it can't got in there yeah yeah i don't know just just, i i really don't see the appeal yet i i i I, my plan was to watch more of it this week uh my plan was defeated due to various purposes like babylon 5 uh but um i i trust you i just i don't know if i trust (laughs) you on this but we'll see I, Uh, i trust you but not enough that my voice doesn't go up when i say trust you <laughs> so, I yeah i don't know uh it may well, not be for you that's fine yeah it's just you know usually the hive mind is so strong um yeah. so we'll see what we'll, we'll 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 uh you know to be continued as with uh some other things uh are we on to the hbo block yet or is there more there's more there's children's hospital which you should mention because apparently it had season finale um last week's episode home life of a doctor was delightful um just the way that they uh, just mimic the 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 Film style. I'm guessing this is a Woody Allen thing. I've seen very few Woody Allen uh, films um, because of previously discussed reasons. Um, but it felt very familiar, the thing where we follow him home and he's talking to the camera. And it's this very Jewish family and he's uh, talking over one uh, one another. And like what, The way that it climaxes with Ken Marino saying, and the thing, and I can't, and it just, I can't, is fabulous so much fun so the home life of a doctor is i think one of the best episodes they've had in probably a couple years i think it's up there with one of my favorites it's just delightful it's just doing them doing a different thing the way that that children's hospital can every now and again um kick me from this past week was a uh blake downs centric episode that was also uh, quite a bit of fun and it just ends with him walking around firing everyone as new head surgeon um that was also delightful and quite, you know, if, if you're going to end your show, this has not been a very like formal or structuralized season, but it was a, it was a solid episode to end on. Um, but I would highly recommend checking out home life of a doctor, Simon. I think you'd enjoy it. All right. What else we got? That does take us to HBO though. So now we have ballers in the brink, which would you like to hear about first? Let's, so let's talk about ballers. Um, uh, you know, you know. I think we usually do a pretty good job of always making sure we're watching the new HBO series. Overall, if you think about their uh, their production slate over the last like five or six years, the average quality level is really high. Uh, so even when I watch a, a preview for something and I think this looks like bollocks garbage, 
um, I'll usually watch it. But I have to say, these two comedies really did not inspire a whole lot of uh, of confidence. And then hearing that the reviews were pretty toxic, I just found time for other things instead. Uh, but you, uh, you, you pilot crazy son of a gun, uh, <laughs> you watched both of them. So ballers, is it as obnoxious and entouragey as it looks? Um, it does feel rather entouragey, but nowhere near as um, frustrating as that one is. Now, I jumped ship from Entourage way before like anyone else did, it sounds like, because I watched maybe a season of that in passing. Um, I, or I, I have probably seen about a season's worth of that, but it was never mm-hmm. a me show. That was never one that I was interested in um, for, I think, what have become obvious reasons. Um, what everybody says about Entourage is how I felt about Entourage pretty early on. Um, this one, the people that are your main characters have actual problems. And um, so watching them deal with that. And, and you know, I think it also helps the knowledge of of how much the NFL chews people up and spits them out. And there, there are these athletes who have spent their whole life trying to be a professional uh, football player and they make it and then anything goes wrong some of it you know of their own design but all you know just the wrong hit in one game and you're done and you you have no preparation for any other thing in the world because you've been all your time trying to be a football player and then what do you do because you got you hopefully you're going to be alive for at least another 40 years um and you're going to need some money so the way that it you know the, these characters um, I think they do a pretty good job of fleshing them out. That being said, I'm, I'm, I wasn't laughing. Um, and it was only towards the end of the pilot when they basically, when they let uh, Dwayne Johnson, the rock uh, have a more dramatic scene where he just like straight talks a guy. And I was like, okay, now I understand why I'm watching this character, why the rock was interested in doing this show. If it's going to be that, and it's more of a dramedy, like a half hour drama kind of thing. That's much more interesting to me than um, yeah, and like actually taking a look at what these characters' lives are, um, because it just it's not what I was seeing was not very funny, but it was interesting. So I don't know which way they're going to go with it. Um, and and the people who are who are giving it a harder time than I am have seen more episodes. I've only seen the first episode. Uh, I believe they sent out a handful to to, to critics. Um, I'm not sure how many. Yeah, I, I I think there were three, and I'm under the impression that one of those first three episodes is basically a boat party. Like yeah, the whole that episode. doesn't. Yeah, <laughs> that's not the pilot. There is a boat party thing, but that's not the. That's not. I could I could be remembering an ad or something, but I think that's in the the pilot. But that's very short. There there's likely a large. They're talking probably talking about a separate thing, and that I really don't want to see. But um, I thought the pilot was solid. And is it my imagination, or is Rob Corddry playing it straight here? He is. Well, I mean, he's playing. Um, he's definitely going for comedy, but uh, it's just not very funny. And so it's he's the kind of pathetic figure, um, who, or at least he's like on the. He's trying to be cool, but he's not. You know, it's one like a tryhard wannabe kind of person. He plays um, the main character, the Rock's uh, boss. He's not a particularly good person or interesting person. Um, so far, he's not that funny. But, I mean, Rob Corddry is very talented. I was just talking about, you know, how much I love Children's right. Hospital. So, uh, but um, that could go somewhere interesting or it could not. I think that's going to come down to the writing. Right. Well, let's give Corddry a break. He has to go to work with The Rock every day. I don't know. The Rock seems pretty cool. And no, he's no, no. super he seems, talented. He seems great. Uh, I just mean, you know, 
You have to look at the rock every day. Just be like, come on, dude. I'm not that. I will never, ever, ever be that. Yep, yep, fair enough. I could work my whole life, and I will never be half of that. (laughs) Um, Next up is the Brink. Um, This one was much less successful for me. I had almost no hopes for this one. But I do... It is... It is. It exceeded my expectations um, because my expectations were really low, and my expectations did not take into account the fact that Jack Black is ridiculously charming. In the right role, he's amazing, and uh, I think he really makes anything that works about this uh, pilot for me comes down to Jack Black's performance. And I'm not interested in most of the other characters that we've seen. And I think most of them are not interesting or funny. Um, But he's just got this sort of, I would compare it to like Bernie, like how he's just like has a smile on his face, you know, and just, he's like doing this stuff and it's stupid or it's dangerous, but there's just a little bit of uh, the crazy eyes, you know, a little bit of that, that slight bit of manic energy and enthusiasm that really carries you through. Um, now, Bernie's a much more nuanced and interesting performance and, you know, much better written. But he's still, like, he's an incredibly watchable presence. I really enjoy Jack Black. And I think that this could be a lot more fun than I anticipated. But then again, I also watched the ads and went, no, 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 Can Veep never leave? Um, so that, there's that. The uh, Have you ever watched 1941? I have not. The uh, the Steven Spielberg flop, flop from the early 80s. Yeah, with 80s Dan Aykroyd, yeah. And many, many other people. Uh, yeah, I get a 1941 vibe from the trailers for this, and it reminds me that there are very few things I find less appealing than shitty satire. It's like, if you if you screw up satire, it's the worst. So, uh, yeah, if that's what they've done, and it kind of seems like they probably have, I don't know if I'm going to be able to watch ba- on, the, on the back of one good performance. Yeah, I'm not interested in any political statements or satire or any of that stuff because other people have done it and done it better and done it way funnier and done it more interestingly. Uh, like, just no comparison. I, you know, so th- then to me it comes down to characters and if I'm laughing. And I wasn't really laughing, but I did enjoy spending the time with Jack Black. So, yeah, that that sounds about right. Um, I don't know if I will make time for I'm probably more likely to make time for the brink than ballers just on the strength of that performance. These are these are ones that I'm more likely to like let build up on my DVR and then spend an afternoon and like see if they go somewhere interesting cuz I feel like the they would binge better, you know, the energy of mm-hmm. the one could lead into the next in a much more satisfying way than waiting week to week. Um but certainly neither of them are anywhere near Silicon Valley and Veep. So it's definitely a step down. But I, for me, these pilots, again, I haven't seen Beyond the Pilots, are more successful than I'm hearing other people say. Congratulations, you are passable. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, let's go on to our next show, though. And you're going to talk for a while uh, because we've both seen Yay! some of Catastrophe. I've seen the full six episode season. How much have you seen, uh, I've Simon? Seen... And what did you think? I've seen exactly what I had time for, which was three episodes. Uh, I could have absolutely watched the pilots for uh, The Brig or Ballers. But having watched one catastrophe, I was like, I really want to cram in two more of these before we get to the podcast. And I can't... The last time that happened with a comedy, a new comedy, 
uh, was probably last year. So interesting, and there have been some good comedies this year. Yeah, but none. I guess none that I had access to more episodes immediately. Um, so this, so this is a. Uh, I assume it's a British production based on the fact that it's it, it's yeah, it's an entirely British cast except for Rob Delaney, uh, pretty much. Co-created by Rob Delaney and Sharon Horgan, uh, they co-star. Um, they're created as co-creators, and in the episodes that I've seen, at least they wrote all the first three. So I'm assuming they probably wrote the whole season. Um, this is a reminder that, like, uh, you know, we watch, we, you know, especially you watch so many shitty network comedies that are, uh, you know, let's get some vaguely likable people in this like half-assed premise, and let's see if it works, maybe, and then maybe over time it shakes off into something okay, again, passable. Uh, after maybe half a season, by which point it's probably already been canceled and it's being burned off and the whole thing is depressing. Um, this is the opposite of that, where it's, hey, let's get together, let's conceive a really, really tight season, and I know it's Britain, so they always do this, but still, let's conceive, like, a really tight idea with, uh, with us, us two people who have this, like, amazing, uh, comic and sort of actorly chemistry, and let's just run with that and not clutter it up with a bunch of useless junk and it's amazing how when you do that your show is good <laughs> wow yeah, this, is, this is really fun though it i it took me a couple episodes to get into it i was watching the premiere and, and probably because i just saw everybody just slathering praise all over it um on saturday Friday, maybe even it was, and uh, this past Friday, and so I was like, I hadn't, I hadn't heard of it at all. So all of a sudden, it was like, oh my god, most amazing thing ever. I was like, damn it, another binge thing. I don't have the time. <laughs> um, uh, so I watched the first episode. I was like, I'm not really laughing that much. I mean, really? And so I watched another episode. And it was like, okay. By the third episode, um, whatever Tobias Menzies come in comes in, isn't he delightful? Uh, he's in the second episode, I think. Yeah, he comes back, and again, such a completely different performance from Outlander or The Honorable Woman. It's, it's, it's been fun to track his career these last couple of years. Mm -hmm. The basic premise of this show, uh, also, it's another one of those things. This has been a great year for shows that sound dumb on paper, but totally work uh, when you watch them. Is Delaney is an American, and uh, and I've already forgotten her last name again. Hargan, Horgan, Horgan, and Horgan is Irish. And he's in, you know, he's in London for a work trip and they bang a lot and she gets pregnant and, oh no, what do we do? But there's just a few little wrinkles here and there that you don't see coming. Like the fact that not only is she pregnant, but she also is, is in the midst of a health scare, which is just that part alone is, it would be unthinkable in an American sitcom premise. Just totally, they would not go there. Yeah. No, definitely. And there's the way that they build out some of the characters is very effective. Supporting characters, that is. The, the friend that the, the Rob Delaney character makes, sort of, that friend. Mm -hmm. We watch a friendship develop with him over the course of the season. And that's just fantastic. When that character's introduced, you're pretty sure he's one thing. Um, based on, like, just even costuming choices and performance choices from the actor. And then it goes um, in such a different way. It's really delightful. Um, there's... They don't overly push some of the other threads that you're maybe expecting them to. And even just the fact that she's a teacher and so she's got a tiny apartment and mm -hmm. he's just, you know, he's moved or gone or traveled to London for 
some unspecified amount of time. So it's not like he has money. Um, so there's just these little details of, of uh, their life and their world, the, the show's world, that adds specificity and um, really makes these feel much more, these people feel much more real. So I was very glad to have spent the time. I, I really ended up enjoying the the end of the season. And when, you know, if you really like the first episode, let alone the next two, you're going to love the rest of the season, I'm sure. Cool. Uh, it kind of... It... A, a, a few quick things. It kind of gave me a genteel, you're the worst vibe, except it's sort of in reverse, where instead of, you know, the main characters are awful and everyone else is, is cool, it's more like they're pretty all right, and there's a lot of people around them who are quite terrible for the most part. At least that's how it feels right now. Maybe that'll change in the later episodes. Uh, so knowing that I I think you're the worst isn't back till September, they're saying now, so this is a nice little little snack to tide me over until then. Uh, also, I don't think any of the show would work if it wasn't for the leads, uh, and they're just both so goddamn charming, and it's, uh, you know, I hate everyone, and especially couples, so <laughs> it's really, really difficult to get me to root for one of them, uh, and they're, I think what, what really works is that they both seem to, ha they both have this world weariness and this, uh, that is simultaneously balanced with just how into each other they are that I think really, really works and is very, very well calibrated. And I think could have so easily been schlocky. Uh, and, you know, there have been so many, especially like recent American sitcoms that have tried to have like this cynical edge towards love and dating. And it's just so shitty and stupid and bad <laughs> and wrong and, uh, and, and played out and not genuine. And this doesn't have any of that feeling. Yeah, it's a very, like you said, genuine. I think that's an excellent term for this, or descriptor for this. So, yeah, people, you should check out Catastrophe. And again, it's only six episodes. Gotta love the British model, right? Yeah, it's six basically, episodes. it's the length of a rom-com. Super bingeable. Yeah, check it out over on Amazon. Um, that wraps up our week in comedy. You're going to give the week I to have one Catastrophe. Show, so. Yeah. You good. have one show. Um, I'm going to give it to... I mean, because I did watch, I guess I'll give it to Catastrophe as well, because I watched the whole season. If it was just, if I had to pick one episode that would make it harder, I might give it to So You Think You Can Dance, but um, I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it to season one of Catastrophe. So now we'll take a break and we'll come back with our week in drama. When I get to lose it all, security comes through the drama i'm going to talk a little bit about the deutschland 83 premiere quantum jump um and the astronaut wives club pilot and then halt and catch fire seasons uh two episode one through four meant to talk about it last week we talked about on the podcast how we were watching it last week but then didn't actually remember to discuss it on the podcast our bad um and, no. then, and then we'll both talk about the true detective premiere so questions where what do you have for me deutschland 83 
Questions. Okay, so from what little I've heard about the show, it kind of seems like it's the Americans, except in Germany. Is that like a really uh, a glib way of putting this, or is that kind of accurate? It is, and it's not at all. So um, it's one of those. It, it's like the Americans in that it's a spy drama. It, there's definitely intrigue. It's set during the Cold War. Um, it has a person from East uh, Germany who goes over to West Germany to spy for uh, his, you know, his country, basically. And it's there is definitely strong threads of socialism versus, you know, in the Cold War version of that, versus uh, capitalism and the West, the East and West thread is very strong. So that's definitely something connecting the Americans and Deutschland 83. But there's none of that, um, you know, it's not like they have this other life. That's not like the, the character in the premiere um, that we're going to be, the main character we're following ends up working undercover in West Germany. Um, but his entire life is in East Germany. So it's like, it would be like if the Amer it was the Americans where they have just landed and okay. they don't have this whole world. They don't have the kids. They haven't built up these friendships. Um, so, so it's, there are, in some ways, it's very similar. In other ways, it's not at all. Okay. And I'm assuming also, based on the fact that it's that it starts in 83, that we're looking at a more compressed timeline, ultimately. I would assume. Um, who knows, though, because I'm not, I'm not sure how, how slowly they will progress the timeline. But it begins with the evil empire speech that we saw at the end of season three of The Americans. So that's what, <laughs> that's what pushes... That's kind of cool. Yeah, that's what pushes the action here. So it is a neat kind of, you know, the way that, you know, the Americans ends and if people are itching for more Cold War drama, well, <laughs> right when that ends, this one picks up. Um, uh, the, the performances are good. Uh, this is airing on Sundance TV over here. This is a German series that has been um, dubbed, or not dubbed, sorry, uh, subtitled in uh, in English for American viewers. I think it's very well made. Um, the it's it's not uh it's nowhere near the americans for me as far as shot compositions and uh storytelling through character and all that but it's also it's a premiere it's a pilot it's the first episode they do a good job the characters are i'm invested in them enough for a first episode and it's stylish enough um it's that's harsh it is stylish <laughs> it's just not you know the american stylish but really right. how many shows are like right. three um but but no, I think it's solid in people. If, as long as you're not turned off by subtitles, um, if that's a deal breaker, if that's a deal breaker for you, I'm surprised you're listening to this podcast, frankly, because <laughs> we're such arty snobs. Um, but if it is, then probably don't check out Deutschland 83. If it's not, though, you should check it out. It's 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 a solid show. It's an interesting show, and we'll see yeah. you know where they go from here. Only eight episodes. You, you could always wait for the shot for shot English remake with no subtitles. Screw you, the returned. You got canceled. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> let's move on to our next show, though. Uh, Astronaut Wives Club yes. on ABC. And this is another, this is a, theoretically only 10 episodes. They say it's a miniseries event or a limited series event. It's not going to come back. And they're going to cover the whole space race flights. Uh, was it, It's Mercury, right? The Mercury astronauts. Um, so they're going to cover, like, I guess 10 years of time or something over the course huh. of these episodes. Yeah. Um, I could be wrong on that. Don't quote me on that. But that's... I think they're they're not planning on there ever being a season two of this. Uh, I thought this, the pilot was solid. I liked some of the performers. Um, I was I liked it more than I expected to. 
because um, I don't know how much it's getting talked about other places. But again, I only saw the pilot. Maybe if you watched more, it's less interesting, and that's why it's not getting covered as much. I do think there's some interesting performances and some fun fun details. Um, I like that they're, we're following. It's about the wives. I mean, if you want to watch a story about the pilots, you know, go watch The Right Stuff or go watch From Here to the Moon. I mean, there's lots of... There, there are mm-hmm. at least two fantastic versions of this story about the men. It's nice to see the other half of their uh, of their of the equation as far as their families and the rest of their lives go. So, um, I think that that's a, a solid premise, and the fact that they're not stretching it, you know, that they can just kind of burn through plot because they're only expecting to do ten episodes. I think is is encouraging as well, um, but it's not again. It's not appointment TV for me. This is one that I, if I set my DVR, if I remember to set up a series recording, I'll probably keep up with it. But if I don't, it will fall through the cracks, and I will at the end of the yoga. Oh yeah, that's right. That was a thing. I was gonna keep up with that. Oh well, and I won't feel too sad about it. That's sort of where I'm yeah. at with it. If you if you like period shows, there's some pretty costumes and you know and hair and makeup and all that too. Uh, it's nice to see Yvonne Strahovski on my TV. It's nice to see some of these other actresses as well. Um, but nothing to to make me recommend that people run out and see it. Go see, see Catastrophe way before you watch the, the Astronauts Wise Club. All right. What do we got up next? Halt and Catch Fire, Season 2. And you, you know what I was just saying? Run, don't walk to Halt and Catch Fire, Season 2. It's like... It's like they reached into my brain and said, what are things that Kate likes? What are the things she's least interested in about season one of Halt and Catch Fire? Oh, it's a mysterious brooding man who is so deep and conflicted and has secrets. Secrets. And there's two um, potentially like good actors, but completely undeveloped female characters. And there's an interesting other guy. Um, We're going to focus in season one focuses in on the mysterious antihero. Do not care. Season two is basically all about the ladies. And it's so much more interesting. We're watching them basically invent early, you know, online gaming, MMORPGs kind of stuff. Well, yeah, I guess, right? Massively multiplayer? Because theoretically, you're playing, they're playing, you know, it's internet gaming in 85. And and one of them is figuring out chat rooms, basically, like inventing Mm -hmm. chat rooms and going, oh, they're like, just like talking about stuff. They're not even playing games. They're just like hanging out, mm-hmm. huh? Like when 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 in the third episode, um, they st- one of the the characters is reading text from the chat room, um, and it's just like just like it's called a flame war. <laughs> I mean, it's just delightful <laughs> to watch this stuff get born. And of course, it's extra fun for us because we have you know hindsight, and so we can watch as characters doubt this this woman in technology and in gaming and in programming as she's saying this is the future and we have the establishment telling her no no or are you going do you have children because if you have children i'm not going to give you money because clearly you can't you know be a serious employee if you have kids um and so we get to enjoy uh them we know that they're wrong and we know that over time, if she can stick with it, our heroine will be validated. And it's just, it's a lot of fun. It's so much fun. And, uh, the, and this, this is the way to tell the story that is like most suited to me. So it's very unsurprising that I'm loving it. But the, like, there was a lot of hype about this fourth episode, which I know you haven't had a chance to see yet, but I think it was deserved. It's well done. And again, it's not causing me to re-examine my soul, but it's causing me to 
be excited uh, to sit down and watch it and like wait can't wait for it to come on and I've been uh, poking my dad to watch it because he likes season one and he liked how it ended to the end of season one so I was like oh man if you like the end of season one you're gonna love season two um, and if you didn't like the beginning of season one and you tuned out like I did tune back in everybody else that's telling you this is is not wrong they are right if if you are at all interested in anything I've said here watch this these first episodes the first the the premiere is strong and it gets better from there and you don't need to have seen the other stuff by the way you don't need to watch season one because i haven't i've seen the first couple episodes of season one and that's it and season two and everybody telling you well you know watch the last few and see not completely not necessary yeah i've seen no halt and catch fire except for the season two premiere and i mean from what i can tell about that premiere it pretty much raises uh, that's with a Z, not like, <laughs> raises, like with from the dead. S. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, it pretty much raises the first season behind it. Uh, it tells you enough to give you the the basics, and then it literally it literally cuts some characters a check and says, "Well done, season one is behind us. Let's move on." Um, and uh, and then it sort of goes flying with these uh, with these other characters who I who I uh, am under the impression kind of got sidelined for, for a, a, a good bit of season one. And I mean, talk about your, your pleasure centers. I mean, this is a show with a, I forget who made the Kim Gordon comparison, but I'm just going to run with it with a Kim Gordon esque, uh, you know, like punky coder who hangs out in, in parking lots and like steals computer equipment while Husker do plays in the background. Like, I'm not going to not watch that. Obviously. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 just again, it's fun and it captures that energy. It captures the energy of of being on the brink of something new and knowing that it's meaningful and knowing that it should be big, but not knowing if you're going to be the one to make it happen. Um, or and and sometimes when you know that this is the next big thing, sometimes you're wrong, and that happened to one of the other characters last season. And so we get to see how that plays off with you know these other characters. But the energy of the show, the tone, like it's not even it's not even the tone. It is just purely the energy of it. It's a fun mm -hmm. show to watch, and that doesn't mean that everything is happy and everything is good and there's no conflict. It just means that they make it feel satisfying and, like you said. It, you get to watch some pretty delightful hijinks and you get to watch how it affects these, these characters. Um, these are the kind of characters that I want to spend time with. Right. It's not like, I think, you know, because it's on AMC, this is a handy comparison on Mad Men. They had to find other sources of enjoyment beyond advertising because it's advertising. Um, you know, they had to find other ways for us to be invested in these characters from time to time. You know, this stuff is just like just to watch these people be good at what they do and be excited about it and find new avenues and and experiment and do all this stuff that you were already talking about. That in itself is enough um, because they're they're you know, they're excited for a reason and we have reason to be excited for them. And like you say, that is that is an infectious uh, energy to feed off of. It's like, imagine if Silicon Valley was said in the mid eighties, like, and what they could do with that. And this is kind of doing a similar thing, albeit, you know, not the same genre. Yeah. But no, it, I think that's an excellent comparison. And yeah, people who like Silicon Valley should like this, I would think. Um, but let's, you know, all thing, all good things must come to an end, uh, which maybe is showing my hand here, but let's, let's go to the episode that you did watch. Oh, I'm so sorry that this is the one you were able to watch the true detective premiere. Why are you sorry? I was delighted that I watched this. 
don't you wish you had watched Halt and Catch Fire instead? No. I was so glad I watched this. Are you this kidding was... me? No, no. I was absolutely tickled pink to have watched this. Um, here's the thing. I'm, I already sound like a dick, so I'm going to backtrack a little bit. <laughs> I really, really, I really wanted to like this. Like, I really wanted to find it to be good. There were, the early reviews were, like, mostly so toxic, and everyone was so, uh, I think a lot of people were so burned by the end of season one that, you know, the, the backlash rhythms of the internet and of criticism are so boring and predictable to me that I would have loved for this to be great and just to have thrown everyone off, off of equilibrium and to be able to say, yeah, there are aspects that are corny, but still this was really compelling and I think everyone should SDFU a little bit. Mm -hmm. um that is not what happened <laughs> that was not, <laughs> not at the, all the, the narrative that i that i really wanted was not the narrative that we got the narrative that we got was the narrative that everybody was expecting and maybe even a little bit more i will say this i think that it could have worked i think even okay some of it had to go the line about never be hungry even when you're eating that could not stay there's no version of this the... how about i wanted to be an astronaut but astronauts don't even go to the moon anymore. Okay, that yeah. One. There's, there is some, there is some shit you could not invent uh, that is here and is just like, is is just that that was the stuff that really made it worth watching. But I mean, there's a version of this that I think really works. Um, I will say that it is not the version starring Colin Farrell. I really love Colin Farrell. I think he's great. I think he's a fantastic actor. I think he is woefully miscast. Uh, as as Velcoro, um, I think you really needed you really needed just like a a live wire one note intensity guy who is not that famous. Like you need a, a second or third stringer who usually plays toughies who that's they're just that's just what they're really good at, and they just have intensity and nothing else. And because Farrell is too thoughtful for this, you know what I mean? He doesn't fit the mustached macho alcoholic dumb guy role very well. Uh, it's just, it, it's not a good fit. Um, and some of the other casting isn't great either, but I think that's what really sinks this. Oh no, it's not that at all. The writing is bad. So? The writing is bad. Oh, I no, no, I'm not saying the writing is, is good, but I think with a certain kind of energy, you could pull about 80% of it off. When they introduce, Colin Farrell, first of all, I think they were trying to be cheeky in a nod to season one, which was stupid, guys, because, you know, I have my <laughs> issues with the way season one ended, and it's not that it didn't have the King Yellow, just it became more and more stuff we've already seen. It started out as stuff yeah. we had never seen and ended up as stuff we had seen a lot. But to have the Colin Farrell character basically introduced... In the exact same way as, you know, they, they introduced these other characters in season one, it's just drawing the parallel yourself so that you can fail mm -hmm. to live up to it. I mean, that's just stupid. But when they introduce him and they're like, uh, so give us all your backstory. So just in case you weren't sure, in case you weren't sure, here's what happened to his wife. His wife, his wife was raped and then that, she got pregnant from that and now, uh, her, the wife is leaving him and the wife has a new boyfriend, Richard. There's Richard. 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 He's uh, got Rich right in his name. Yeah, I mean, it's just terrible, terrible writing. 
And I mean, I mean, and again, like this doesn't go for every show, but the fact that it's this show and like the twenty fifth word that comes out of the dialogue is raped is like, oh Jesus, yeah, oh, oh Jesus. Didn't you love Taylor Kitsch's girlfriend, who's like, all she needs in life is to give him a blowjob? Like she must do this. Oh, she's waiting at home for him. Yeah, she and can't that's... wait. And then, and then he's kind of a jerk and takes way too long in the shower and she's pissed off at him until she sees his manly physique and then she's like, ooh, I must have you now. I mean, like, come on. Who are There's... these people? And here's the thing. I think you haven't done your job correctly when the guy who comes across the most reasonably in your show, like the, like the most, the, the, the person who has thought in the most reasonable way about their life is David Morse's hippie. Like, the one who, I know you're rolling your eyes, but the fact that like, like he, those scenes are not good, but the way he like completely like psychoanalyzes the Rachel McAdams character, it it should be obnoxious. It should be like, wow, that's such a reductive way to think about your daughter. But it, I mean, it is, but it is, but it's also one hundred percent accurate to the characterization presented in this episode, and and like after that, why do we even need to see her again? Like we've we've had. We have her entire psychology on a plate now. Yes, yes, yes. Her father, um, oh, God, yeah. The the gender stuff in here is just terrible. And poor Rachel McAdams. I mean, I would love for Rachel McAdams to get a vehicle that she could really, really shine in. Because we loved her on Slings and Arrows. And I think she's actually a very talented actor who kind of gets cast in these boring roles. And doesn't, hasn't, I don't know how much opportunity she's really had or, you know, the, at least in the ones that she's chosen that she's been able to get um, to, to stretch her legs and show what she can do. Uh, so I get why she's on this show. I get why she wants to do it. But this is not that this is not that role. This is just like I was watching this with my my sister and my brother-in-law and uh, my poor my poor brother-in-law. They would have stopped watching it. But I mean, I had to watch it for the podcast. <laughs> so they powered through with me. But it was just. It was so laughably bad that we could just kind of enjoy it on a really, oh, wow. When they get to, like, the song, when you get at the bar, are you shitting me with this song? <laughs> Stations pulling away from the train. Ooh, deep. I mean, it's like, wow, guys. Wow. I mean, look, listen, listen, everyone. I love Leonard Cohen, and I love Nick Cave. But when you open your show with a Leonard Cohen song... And then you close your show with a Nick Cave song. That's not really how music supervision is supposed to work. You're not just supposed to find that one note and then keep plucking it for literally sixty full minutes. You should find some should find some emotional breadth. Unless the somewhere. point is to be incessant about it, unless that's the whole point. Uh, but then you know maybe think about what that's doing to your audience and if that's conveying. What you wanted to convey, but no, I will not be watching any more True Detective this season. And I'm very yeah. glad to have that time free because instead I will be watching Halt and Catch Fire. Way better, way more interesting show. Yeah. Uh, I'm not quite done making fun of things yet. Um, the uh, Was that a weird meta moment when, uh, uh, when Velcoro picks up a newspaper and he says something about an eight-part series? What is this? <laughs> I'm like, wait, yep. what? That's what it felt like to me. Uh, what is this? Apparently, in a future since we're not since you're not going to be watching this, and I probably won't either. Apparently, in a future episode, there is a there is a I shit you not there is a Carrie Fukunaga sta stand in. Oh yes, I've heard of this. Yes, 
Yeah. Uh, apparently, um, he and Fukunaga had some had some difficulties, which is probably one of the reasons why he's not back. And Justin Lin and some other directors apparently are here. Uh, so yeah, he has an on-screen uh, avatar who he can make fun of, which really classy, really really classy. Yeah, every like all the issues I had with last season uh, with uh, Pizzolatto's uh, writing or and like his statements outside of the show, which don't affect the way that I view the show, but can maybe inform on why I'm feeling certain ways and the priorities mm-hmm. that that the writer seems to have. I think that can you know. When you see it, if there's something you can't necessarily put your finger on, and then you listen to this guy talk about how he invented the anthology series, and you're like, um, there's this show, it's called <laughs> The Twilight Zone? Have you have you heard of it? Because, uh, were you alive when it was made? Okay, maybe maybe just, like, back up a step on with what, you know, how, how you're changing everything. Um yeah, so this is just this, this show is just insufferable. <laughs> this like this this premiere is, and I have yeah. no interest in this story for this season at all. So, maybe yeah. like I can't imagine coming back for season three if it's a lot of still writing it. Um, maybe if people you know if it's completely different, people say it's worth watching. But for I'm glad, like I said, I'm glad to have this out for you. Do you have anything else you would like to make fun of? Um, ass pen. Oh my god, we that's what we started laughing out loud at that scene. <laughs> When, when like, he's putting on brass knuckles to talk to a 12-year-old, and we're like, is this a thing that's, oh, no, he's just going to beat the, I'm like, are we supposed to, are we supposed to care about this person? Because we don't. You have not done the legwork show. Uh, so I, I'll, I'm just laughing at the fact that this is your hero of your show, um, or anti-hero, or both, or you can't or whatever. commit to what it is. I just, like, it's just cartoonish. It's just... It's it's trying to be so serious, and then it does stuff like have him beat the crap out of out of a a a twelve year old's dad to teach him a lesson about bullying, and then like he says, I'll come back and I'll like, isn't it like I'll kill your? Isn't it like I'll I'll rape your mom with your dad's head or something like that? Or <laughs> that's I'll, a mild version of what he says. Something uh, like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's comically over the top. There's. It's like the sort of character you imagine Will Ferrell playing in a parody yes. of True Detective. Absolutely. Um, like a like a blowhard, mustachioed, drunk idiot. Um or like or you could imagine him as the character of like a of like a, was it Michael McDonough, the guy who did uh in Bruges? Like like ridiculously over the top tragic comic figure, but this is not going for that at all. I will say one nice thing though, which is that the person I actually felt the most bad for was Vince Vaughn. Because he's good. He's I think he's, act- he's actually quite good, and this is not a role. It was a role written for him, and it's not the. I, I think uh, Pizzolatto and people saw uh, some dimensions in him that we don't normally get to see, and I think there's a weight to his scenes that kind of work when we're not looking at and feeling bad for Kelly Riley. Oh, poor Kelly Riley. Poor Kelly Riley. <laughs> uh, but and yeah, and I think he could have anchored this. Yeah in some alternate universe somehow and uh so hats off to him and whatever happens to him in the rest of this season of a bad thing yep uh okay well then what wins your week in drama (laughs) (laughs) i'm giving it to Um, halt and catch fire uh since since i didn't watch that episode of halt and catch fire this week i abstain (laughs) nice um now we'll take a break and we'll come back with our week in genre Past for 
week in genre, you're going to talk a bit about Penny Dreadful and Primavera. We'll both talk about the Killjoys pilot Bangarang, and then we'll both talk a little bit about the Orphan Black finale. We're running long, so um, I'll just say I like season episode two of Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. We'll talk about it more next week when there's, there's a lighter show week. Um, and you finished Sense8. And would, come on, how great was that thing that I was talking about last week in the finale? The the finale thing was really, really great. I think I, it's the hardest I've laughed at, at anything this year. Like, movies, TV, my life. Um, definitely my life. Uh, it was really, really great. And I, I there was a lot to enjoy, especially in that, in that backstretch. And as far as I know, they haven't announced a second season yet. I assume it's coming. Um, just because I always assume that Netflix things are getting extra seasons. And... Uh, I don't know if it's top 10 material, but I definitely enjoyed the hell out of it. And I'm very, very, very glad it exists. And we'll, I'm sure we'll have occasion to talk about it more soon. Hopefully I will be able to do a season spotlight on it at some point. Um, but for now, let's let's go into uh, our weekend genre with Penny Dreadful Memento Mori. And again, I wasn't able to watch this one, but I will be caught up for next week before we get to the end of the season here. Uh, I hear this episode had no Vanessa and no Ethan. How'd that go? Uh, that's right. Um this was one of the, you know, th- I feel like this is a trick that uh, often really solid shows pull, which is that there's a fan favorite character and then it proves to you that it can be good by not having the fan favorite character there at all or very much diminished. And often those can end up being sort of best episodes. Uh, and I heard some people referring to th- this as one of the, the series best episodes. I don't know if it was one of the series best episodes, but I definitely know that at the start of the season... I was very iffy on the on the Lily plotline, and I just did not care about what where they seem to be going with it. And I can't wait for you to watch this episode because I don't know how much you read, but after this, I have no fucking idea what they're doing with the Lily plotline. There is a there is a, a sequence in the middle of the episode that mostly just involves her talking, and it's openly contradictory, and. To, like, everything, right? We've seen. That's what I'm hearing. No, no. The scene is contradictory within itself. Oh, okay. The beginning of the scene does not match the end of the scene. (laughs) Um, And it seems to be on purpose. And it's... uh, And, and, and right, it doesn't match a lot of what came before, but that seems to be also by design. Uh, And Billy Piper is obviously having a blast with this whole thing, which, thank God, because we were uh, really worried about that at the beginning part of the season... I'm definitely way more interested in what they're doing with her now, but I do not even remotely understand it. So <laughs> I I was not bored, um, but that whole time I was just like, what is it's 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 nice to be able to watch Penny Dreadful and say, what is going on? And there's nothing bloody happening. Um, that's a nice feeling. Uh, there's some nice stuff with Malcolm. There's a really beautiful sequence involving Malcolm in a ballroom and lots of black and white. Uh, that was really, really lovely. Um, I think trying to make him sort of the emotional fulcrum of the episode is ballsy because he's been so uh, absent as a personality from so much of the season. I don't really know if it works yet. I think we'll have to wait and see for the last couple episodes. Uh, They're going to really need to bring it in these last few in a really big way, I think, to sell us on the the major arc of the season. I think no matter what happens, there's going to be some stuff that was like, well, that was a mess. And that didn't really, like, the, how what got us here didn't really make any sense. Um, but I'm hoping that enough of it can work on an emotional level that we'll be able to, eh, 
just sort of shrug off the stuff that really didn't make any sense. Um, but yeah, I definitely fully invite this batshit version of the of the Lily plotline instead of the like doomed romantic creepy rapey vibe that was going on before. This is way better, way way better, even if it makes no sense. Any thoughts on Angelique and Dorian this week? I feel like we should mention them. Um, that was another thing I didn't fully understand, to be honest. Um, and maybe it's because, uh, I, I haven't, uh, honestly, it's, it's been a really, really long time since I thought about the character of Dorian Gray in that mythology. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that. But I, I definitely, it was the Lily thing that really overpowered me this week. It was just so ridiculous and insane. Okay, then. Well, I'm looking forward to that even more now. Um, for Hannibal Primavera, of course, you, you can hear my thoughts over on the This Is Our Design podcast. This week, we got to talk with, you know, Vincenzo Natale, who came on to talk about this episode with us. So, you know, he kind of knows about it a little bit as he directed it. Um, that was delightful. You can, so you can check that out over at, at Sound On Sight. What did you think of Primavera? Uh, I thought it was uh, pretty good. Uh, it was a pretty... I feel like the whole this whole opening... Um, uh, this ep- this opening set of Hannibal episodes has been pretty uniformly strong. Not 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 necessarily like mind blowy, uh, end of last season levels of ridiculous greatness. Uh, but certainly very solid episodes of Hannibal. I feel like it's a rite of passage for Canadian shot or Canadian produced genre series that they need to have some Julian Richings content at some point, or even just genre shows in general. I guess mm-hmm. it's not just the Canadian shot ones, but. Because he's awesome? Because uh, he's great. I mean, he's just, he's Julian Richings. He's uh, a totally unique screen presence. And uh, I feel like normally when you bring in Julian Richings, he's like the devil or someone really powerful and stuff. Or death. Or death. Or like someone. And and here he's basically just like feral guy in a cage, which is fine. It totally satisfies the criteria of having Julian Richings on your, uh, on your you know, Canadian involved production of a genre series. So great. Uh, you're, you're, uh. Your, your Julian Richings quotient has technically been filled. What else do we get in this episode besides the caged man? You'll have to remind me. We get Chio. We get um, uh, Hannibal and Bedelia talking. We get Hannibal washing Bedelia's hair. It's creepy. Uh, for, for, oh, yes. For me, my, my review over at Sound on Sight, um, it, for me, this episode really came down to a reaction to the end of last week's episode when Will says that he forgives Hannibal for everything. And... And the way that that changes their power dynamic and uh, really shakes Hannibal for this episode. He's acting out. He's in very different, you know, like he he thought he had let go of all that. He thought it was above it, but not really. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that really shakes Hannibal. And then we get to see how Will, having let go of all that, is now empowered. He moves forward. He's in a much more active place. It doesn't mean it's better. He makes his own tableau. Super creepy. Even if it is, you know, the Firefly Man or whatever. Um, but that's really what it came down to for me. The way that they're dynamic for each of them. The way that they are affected by have by Will having forgiven Hannibal. And then now can Hannibal forgive Will? And then also the way that Bedelia plays into that. I feel like she's manipulating the crap out of Hannibal in this episode. Which is fun for me. So that's really what I was focusing on. Which- is it weird that I still don't really care about Bedelia? For me, uh, yes. I feel like but, I should. You know, whatever. And I, and I, I, I don't. <laughs> I mean, I like. I, it's cool. It's always nice to see Jillian Anderson. Um, but yeah, I, I can't get a beat on her emotionally. Uh, in the way that I can with Will, and hope I'm hoping that that changes at some point. But yeah, we'll see. I'm keeping track of it. Okay. Um, any thoughts on Chio? It's 
nice for Will to have a friend? Can he? Can they just be pals? Can they? Can he just have a pal? That would be cool. I mean, that's what I'm expecting. Uh, we'll see. Um, it's 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 his Bedelia. It's you know the person he's manipulated into killing someone and who is now his traveling companion. So you know, we'll see where it goes. Right, but now now that they've got the killing out of the way, can they just be pals? Can they maybe crack jokes? I don't. Can they like spoon. I don't think she cracks jokes. Though speaking of, we should mention briefly here as our last thing about Hannibal. Um, what is the name of that Tumblr? Because it is amazing. Oh crap! Like um, lectorisms or something. Uh, I believe it's called lectorisms. Basically, uh, a fan of Hannibal. I think he, he, they blog about some other stuff as well. But basically, uh, they take existing Hannibal gifts and they make it appear as though Hannibal uh, is not talking about eating people. He just really likes to crack insanely corny puns. Uh, complete with reaction shots, and I know that sounds really dumb, but it's really, really, really goddamn it's funny. It's amazing. Yeah. Did you hear the one about about the the pizza? Can I tell you the one about the pizza? No. Oh, it's okay. It was cheesy, anyways. I mean, come on, that's that kind of <laughs> level of and like the sele- the, the 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 brilliance is in the selection of the gifts. Um, cause Hannibal's always so incredibly pleased with himself and everybody else, you can just see their soul dying. Right. You can it's, see the anguish. You can see the anguish. It's delightful. You all should check that out. It's wonderful, but let's move on to our next, uh, episode here. And that's the Killjoys pilot Bangarang. Um, this was on sci-fi. We checked it out, you know, bunny hunters in space. Maybe it'll be fun. What did you think? Here's the thing about Killjoys. I don't think it's particularly good. Uh, and I probably won't watch any more of it unless as per usual, I hear that it gets really, really great. Uh, but uh, in the Babylon 5 segment, we're, about, we're literally just about to play for you. Uh, I talk about the fact that we don't have enough genre shows that are al- that are allowed to be colorful and silly and uh, get really excited about their own world building and not worry about being too brooding. And um, this could stand to be less brooding and not do any brooding at all because the brooding parts are really, really dumb. Uh, but... It is most of those other things that I just said, so I feel like I shouldn't complain too much. Yeah, this one didn't bowl me over, but I think it's fun. And, uh, you know, if I didn't have a bajillion other things to watch, I might stick with it a little bit longer. I do like the cast for the most part. Um, I like but don't love the cast. And I think there's – I can see ways in which it could become a really reliable, really entertaining show. Um, just it's not quite at that next level for me. So it's one that I could see turning into like a blue skies kind of thing where I tune in here and there when I hear particularly good episodes or hear about particularly good episodes or um, just like when I'm looking, I've got an hour and I need to fold some laundry or something. Uh, I could see it turning into that kind of show for my, for myself. It feels like it's trying a little too hard at times to be Firefly. Um, and I mean, it's not your fault, Killjoys. You're not Firefly. Most shows aren't Firefly. That's okay. Um, and just because of some of the character types, because Firefly is a show full of types that then become very specific over the course of the series and at different times um, and have excellent performances backing them up. So this one, because they're it's the start of the show and it's very broad, again, very broad types. So a lot of these characters feel very familiar. However, there is a specificity to parts of the world that I very much appreciate. Um, and so, th- I mean, I can see why people like it. For me... I don't know that I'll be setting the time aside, but it's one that I certainly wouldn't mind. If like there's nothing else on, that's one that I could certainly have fun with. That's where I'm at yeah. with, with, with Killjoys. I think the biggest black mark against it is that it, it has a character dynamic established in the first episode that is, if it's not already there, it is immediately destined to be love triangle 
before very long. Yeah. Like it's not. It's it's not even like you can see it coming. It's telling you basically that it's coming, and it's not gonna be interesting when it happens. I'm just gonna say that now. Yep, I concur. That is the part of the show I am least interested in, and yet the show is definitely going to go there. Um, but let's move on, because again, we're running super long this week. Let's go- move on to the Orphan Black finale, History Yet to be Written. And uh, basically, as you predicted, at the end of the season, all except maybe one of the casters are going to be dead. We've got one. And as I predicted, if there- Mark! How yes. really Mark would make it out. And uh, so go us for predictions. Uh, I'm, I was very glad that basically uh, I wish they had killed Dr. Cody on screen. I really, really wish that had happened because that would definitely mean the caster was done. This felt like them going, okay, so guys, the caster thing, not our best idea. Let's go back to the illusion, uh, but without Leaky. So that could go somewhere. Uh, just a lot of the season, there's been stuff I've really liked and they've had, they definitely in the middle, towards the end of the season, second half of the season, not all the way up to the end, but like, you know, that middle, late middle chunk of the season. Mm-hmm. Is was you know one of the strongest chunks of the season, or, or strongest chunks of the show, I would say, the series. But um, there's just a lot of things in this finale that I just don't really care about, and um, it sh- the the finale does for me share a lot of the season's strengths and weaknesses. So scene around the dinner table, fabulous. Every like everything else with Allison's drug dealing, we really, really, really didn't need it. Didn't need any of that all season. We could have had Donnie and Helena. Um, bond over something else. Um, or Delphine. Uh, the stuff that goes down with Delphine. I still don't know why she and Cosima broke up in, you know, the beginning of the season and why we were supposed to, they were angry at each other about the breakup because what they showed us, they shouldn't have been angry. And then here in the finale, they're like, oh, it's the finale. So we need Cosima to all of a sudden be cool with Delphine, even though... She's acted like a giant creep. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and also because... And Cosima's just spent the entire season being really aggressive and angry to Delphine, and then here she's like, yeah, I shouldn't have been that. No explanation for why she was that, or, like, anything. Yeah. It's just, it's the finale, so we want them to make up so that we can kill Delphine. Um, yeah, there's a lot of sloppiness with that. Right. But, hey, Crystal's back, and I hope she never leaves. Crystal's great. You just said they killed Delphine, which is not technically correct. Delphine has been shot. She may not be dead. That is very true. This is, and actually, it was one of the major things that bugged me about this has been happening a lot this season on genre TV of like, we're back to the old school style of cliffhangers where we're seemingly killing people, but who knows? Wait till next season. I hate that. I really, really hate it. Uh, there are some ways to execute it. Well, <clears throat> uh, but yeah, no, it's just, please try not to do it unless it's absolutely necessary. Unless, unless the writer's room really, really can't make up their mind about whether or not they should kill a character. Uh, maybe don't do that. Uh, I would, I would prefer Delphine to be alive and useful, um, than dead, but I prefer, I prefer dead than keeping her on and having the whole thing being hopelessly confused. Uh, I don't see why her and, and, and Cosima and Shay can't live together in peace and harmony. It's 2015, uh, and this is Orphan Black, and they can do things like that if they feel like it. Um, but yeah, there was, as you said, there was stuff this season that really, really worked, uh, and a lot of stuff that just was completely ridiculous and didn't fit at all. It really felt like they did not give the non-clones enough to do this season, um, and that's something they're really going to need to work on, especially if they're going to have another clone uh, kicking around next year. And I feel like, I do feel like one clone per season is a good rate of growth, 
Uh, however, I, f- I kind of feel like they're going to have to start dropping also pretty soon because at a certain point it's just going to get ridiculous. And that's, I think, where things could get uh, really, really compelling or really dicey if they choose to go that way also. Yeah. Um, I mean, just, for me, just compare Crystal and her, like, what, three scenes with maybe four when she first got we see her get interviewed about her potential abduction by caster with any of the casters any of them there's no Mm. comparison the writing for that character and the performance in three scenes made me care about crystal whereas for caster they never made me care about any of them as people and their attempts to make Mark be a clone and then not a clone and like then not with caster anymore. It's like, I'm sorry, this is basically just the same guy from last season. Like this season could have just not happened and you made him slightly less crazy, like less culty. And then we'd be in the same place that we were. Yeah. Uh, what else was good? Uh, Helena fighting with prison rules was crazy and badass and awesome. Uh, and then also there were some really great visual moments. Like I think some of their best moments, uh, I, I love the, as much as we didn't care about caster, the framing of, of Helena and other creepy caster dude, whose name I never bothered to remember. Rudy. Uh, Rudy as he was dying was really great. Um, even if I, I didn't really buy, I don't know. Sometimes I find that the, the writing with Helena a little bit inconsistent sometimes in terms of how, uh, eloquent she's supposed to be. But anyway, um, and that final shot of uh, of Sarah and Kira was just gorgeous. Um, yeah, they really... I think the main thing that they need to do next season is the same thing they've always needed to do. They need to take their villainry up a notch, like several notches. And I'm hopeful that maybe, maybe this time it'll happen. Yeah, I didn't care about Kendall. I, I negative cared about Kendall, but maria doyle doyle kennedy's reading of uh, jesus ma was you know like uh, when she's actually expressing you know like saying i I made sure that you got this girl and because it would be something of me and it's just beautiful like the 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 delivery of that really warm very moving just two words from maria doyle kennedy made me care more about everything we've gotten with mrs s this season than pretty much any time we saw her and she wasn't singing so um yeah, they've just got a, the very inconsistent writing. Sometimes it's great, and sometimes it's just you want to like just pull them aside and go, why, why are we with the drug dealing and with the like? Is Shay? You gotta commit with Shay. You know, like, are you excited about the Neolutionists? Did you like them going more hard sci-fi with the uh, like straight up sci-fi with like the mutation thing? Um. The- Actually, I, I I dug the worm. I completely dug the worm. I was if if Orphan Black's gonna stick around, it should probably get freakier. Uh, let's yeah. get some let's get some aliens in there. Let's let's go all out. You've already got clones. Like let's let's start diversifying. Uh, I mean, remember this? We had a tail in season one. Let's get some more of that in there. Um, totally fine with that. Um, and uh, you know, there were some other like the cybernetic eye was cool. Uh, it was not, didn't really have to be, be more than that, except that it was nice that Crystal didn't lose an eye. Um, yeah, my big things for next season is better villainry, lean into the weirdness more, give everyone more to do. It's okay to start killing off characters. Uh, and last two tiny things, uh, that I hope they retire next season. One, if you have any more scenes in Iceland, please don't play any Sea or Rose. The second genre show this season to indicate Iceland means Sea or Rose. Please don't do that. Uh, the other thing, and maybe it's just me, 
but I really would really love it if they would retire the revelation equals symbol wash on this. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, uh, I, yeah. I really kind of hate it. Fair enough. Uh, I'll have to listen for that a bit more actively in this next week of TV. But what wins your week in genre? Um, uh, oh, Hannibal, obviously. Not Sense8? Uh, well, I feel like Sense8 wasn't so much this week as more like this time. Plus, Hannibal just got canceled, so let's give it, some, let's give, give it, cut it some slack. Fair enough, and it, for me, it's Hannibal again. Um, though, you know, I had a lot of fun with Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell this week, and, uh, if it had been more consistent, maybe I'd throw a bone to Orphan Black, but, um, but no, I'll give it to Hannibal this week as well. A few show notes here before we go to our Babylon 5 segment. You can find a post-up for this episode at soundonsite.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can email us, theteleverse at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, like us up there, uh, to follow the goings on at Soundonsite TV and start up a conversation. You can also find us in iTunes where we have an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed, and we would appreciate any feedback there. Uh, it does help other, uh, other listeners find us and then we're both on twitter i am at the televerse and simon you are uh, at sucker howl and what is our question of the week all right i've got a really evil question are you ready for this i'm ready amazon can pick up hannibal for an indeterminate number of extra seasons or season three of hannibal is note is 100 percent perfect and then it's over you get one. Perfection's overrated. That's easy for me. Okay. So you, all right. Easy choice for you. You want more Hannibal, but not not as good. Well, I I think that they. This is a show that may very, very rarely, if ever, find perfection, but its batting average is going to be really fucking high. So all I'll right. take I'll I'll take more seasons at like a nine point five over one season out of ten. Okay. All right, How about I you? can respect that answer. I don't have an answer. I was trying to come up with a difficult question that I didn't want to answer. <laughs> so, Well, uh, fair enough. I, I look forward to hearing what the other fanables have to say. But for now, that was our week in TV, so we're going to take a break and come back with Rowan Kaiser of the AV Club to talk about Babylon 5. The Babylon Project was our last best hope for peace. A self-contained world five miles long located in neutral territory. A place of commerce and diplomacy for a quarter of a million humans and aliens. A shining beacon in space, all alone in the night. It was the dawn of the third age of mankind, the year the Great War came upon us all. This is the story of the last of the Babylon stations. The year is 2259. The name of the place is Babylon 5.
We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Simon Howell. And this week on the DVD shelf, we're talking about a show that I have very fond memories of from middle school, my, my teen years, as well as um, it, 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 there's lots, I have a lot of positive associations with it. And I also think it's just a really fascinating show in the history and the progression of television. So I'm very glad that we're going to be talking about Babylon 5. And here to help us... It, at least in my circle on the interwebs, if you're going to talk Babylon 5, you have to invite on uh, from the AV Club and the Jay and Josh show, Rowan Kaiser. Rowan, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thanks for having me. So uh, so, so over the AV Club, you reviewed all of Babylon 5. You have a t- uh, AV Club 10 for the, like, the 10 episodes people should watch. You've written extensively about the show. So, which is why, of course, you're a logical guest to have on. But um, you could have picked a different show to talk about. What made you want to talk about Babylon 5 this week on the DVD shelf? Uh, well, it was probably the show that I care the most about that you hadn't already done. But it's also the show that I care the most about that, like, if you're going to get Rowan to talk about anything TV, then get get him for Babylon 5. Because, like, I've, I've done it at the AV Club. It's, like, the show that sort of, like, made me interested in television at all and want to think about it critically and so on. You know, there, there are a lot of people in our circles of, for, the, for whom that's lost or the X-Files or something like that. But I got into Babylon 5 randomly. So that's that's my thing. Rowan, for people who haven't seen Babylon 5, uh, what is the show about? How would you describe it briefly? Okay. <clears throat> So Babylon 5 was a mid-90s science fiction show. Um, it ran for five seasons that uh, were almost all written by a single person, J. Michael Straczynski. And he was trying to tell the epic, grand, sweeping story of the universe through a single space station. Um, it takes place after a major war almost wipes out humanity. So humanity says, we're going to build a community that is going to bring all the aliens together and we'll try to solve all the problems before they turn into genocidal wars. And um, it doesn't do so well at stopping wars, but it does uh, end up being sort of the centerpiece of a major change in how uh, how aliens interact with humanity and all this stuff. It's a giant sort of pseudo science fiction, pseudo fantasy epic that's sort of wrapped up in this idea of uh, liberal diplomacy. Yeah. I think that's a great way to put it. Uh, It's either that or 20 minutes trying to, you know, dive in with the details. So I think that's a, a great overview. Yeah. Well, it's just such a fascinating show for me with its history because it is, uh, it's a show that that aired in the 90s, and um, I'm going to need uh, some help on where it aired because we didn't have cable, <laughs> and yet I know that I watched it, like, live before, and we must have had cable by the time it was on TNT, but... Yeah, it was on PTEN, which was Warner Brothers' little, like, suite of television shows that they would sell to local channels, Um and that meant that it basically aired on a random channel at a random time in any different uh, any different market that you were in. Yeah. So, like, I talked about it on the internet, and that basically each week you would have people who would get the show on Monday night, and then there were people who got it on Sunday afternoon. And you would have to try to, like, negotiate spoilers and <laughs> try to deal with that. And that's – I mean, it, it's – in some ways, this is one of many ways that it's like the last gasp of a certain old form of storytelling and production. And that way is 
Like no, nothing is really like that anymore. That's supposed to be anything other than disposable. Yeah, well, because again, it's this show, and you know, for for me, I like I was watching it live, and, and again, this is this is the '90s, so I don't know how we found it because in our household, '90 was '94, '93 uh, until '98. We didn't have internet, <laughs> so uh, I don't know how I even heard about it, but my dad found it and watched it, so I watched it with him, um, and and I have all these really positive associations with it, but the reasons that it's uh, such a famous show, or at least for those of us, and we could talk about this maybe an under-talked under about show, an under-discussed show, is that it was the first show to have a five-year arc, planned Bible, show Bible. This is going to be season one through season five. We're telling a long form story. It's like a novel, but for television, that kind of an approach, very intentionally uh, designed by the creator, J. Michael Straczynski, who people will know from Babylon 5, but also, of course, he's written a lot of comics. And recently, of course, he's one of the co-creators of Sense8. Uh, but, but it's this weird thing because so few people talk about it in general outside of sci-fi fandom maybe but it's one of those shows that it just i don't know i've heard this discussed other places i don't know how much this prompted every you know tv to really go in that direction because so few people watched it but if nothing else it really was far reaching like looking ahead of what was going to come next the type of storytelling that was going to come next and this was the first show to do it yeah i i call it kind of a a preface or a prequel or something like that to the serialized age of television because it's very difficult to see like a direct line of influence there is some through deep space 9 and uh battlestar galactica uh but i i don't read about you know vince gilligan having watched babylon 5 i don't know of who went on to create further famous tv shows who cite this as an influence which makes it somewhat difficult but it definitely engaged with the same ideas as most of these other shows did just a few years before buffy and the sopranos kind of made a certain form of serialized storytelling in vogue um and it ran basically parallel with the x-files which had a pretty, eventually pretty widely derided sort of long-term storytelling. Um, but the X-Files is, remembered a hell of a lot more, even though the long-term arc uh, is generally considered a pretty big failure of that show, where it's not really with Babylon 5. Yeah, the the, the long-term arc of the show, I think, is very successful, and they're you know, it's one of those shows that I, and we'll get into this because I have issues with it. I don't think it's, I don't know that I would say it's a great show, but I think there are really fascinating, really interesting and very, uh, very great things about it. Um, and I think part of that is, and that's part of why for me, it's, it doesn't rank next to the X-Files because the X-Files arc, their story, long-term story that just mess and it really after season four or five maybe six that does not work at all for me um whereas babylon five structure is very clear the story the larger from storytelling is works really well but the individual elements are nowhere near as uh well executed for me like the cinematography and some of the performances a lot of the writing um is not on that level of you know your vince gilligan's your darren morgan's your you know uh, uh james morgan and, and wong and like all those writers that really you know vince gilligan who cut their teeth on on X-Files, I don't know that I would say the writing is up to that um, here on Babylon 5, but the ideas that it's engaging with and the types of, uh, you know, long, you know, when you have a character introduced in the pilot as saying he's seen his death and he knows how he's going to die and you eventually see that and it, 
at the end of the show, that happens. <laughs> Flash forward to the future and that happens. But you've learned so much about these characters that it's an entirely new context. It's an entirely new meaning and it's incredibly powerful. There's something that you get from that that you can't get from any other type of storytelling. And it's something that I, it's fun to see how it is first expressing itself, that approach to television in Babylon 5. Yeah, I, the, that example is, I think, the the best one to describe what is great about Babylon 5 because you have this first episode where the character says that he's going to be killed by another character and then it goes through like four or five different twists to that and you get foreshadowing on other shows like you can compare it to the Battlestar Galactica the opera house scene which is like roughly a similar thing of like some massive event happens with these characters and this is the big thing in the future for them and with Battlestar Galactica, it's just like they toss it in at the end because they have to. Um, where with Babylon 5, it sort of informs everything that the characters do, and it reframes itself as you learn, oh, this is not a murder, this is a mercy killing. And how did it get to that point? Because it looks like it's a murder based on where the characters are now. And um, so you can see it construct itself in that direction in a way that... I mean, this is really different for most TV shows. Like, I, the the long term planning is kind of derided these days because a bunch of post lost shows like Flash Forward or whatever, like, oh yeah, we have a plan for everything. Well, you guys forgot to include characters, so we don't care about your plan. But <laughs> um, with Babylon Five, the plan is built on the characters. It's not some sort of conspiracy plot that happens to exist with in that world. It's it's built on the character arcs and what that means for the rest of the universe. Absolutely. Well, uh, Simon, I'm curious. Had you like how familiar w were you with Babylon Five? Had you heard of it before? Had you seen any of it before? Uh, oh boy. So um, I had zero familiarity with Babylon Five as a, a thing that I watched, and I actually relied almost completely on uh, Rowan Kaiser's uh, list, his uh, his TV Club 10 uh, for my for my viewing schedule for the show. So I'm I'm the amateur here, so I'm going to be throwing out ideas and you can tell me if I'm full of shit or not. Uh, <laughs> and we'll all we'll all have a good laugh. Uh, so I, I will say that uh, the pilot was rough going, really, really rough going. I, I don't think you even watched the pilot. You watched the first episode of the series, but there was a pilot movie that was worse. Oh, well then, there you go. Yeah. So I went easy on myself. Um, <laughs> uh, the pilot's rough going. The acting is really regrettable, uh, for the most part. Uh, it seems it, it it feels like they've you're watching a, a bunch of uh, of theater actors not schooled in the ways of of acting for a screen. Um, it, for, certainly for some characters more than others, and uh, the rink the rinky dink aspect of the production really overwhelms the ideas. Um. So that episode was really not a promising uh, introduction for me. It, it felt like one of those instances where I was going to be uh, on, entirely on the outside looking in, and I was happy to discover uh, that very quickly after that, based on the episodes that you recommended that people watch uh, as an introduction, um, you get quickly immersed in, um, I would say, not as much the universe or even necessarily the characters as just uh, how sophisticated... Uh, the storytelling is in terms of the way it engages with its ideas and with that's with, with its sort of long, uh, long arc aspects of the way it handles prophecy and things like that. If I had to make an analogy based on the way you guys are trying to uh, locate its place in TV history, 
I would think of it as like a Joy Division or something. Like the kind of, uh, which if no one knows what I'm talking about, um, basically the sort of band, if we're talking in musical terms, who, um, I guess the Sex Pistols would be another one, 30 people saw them play, uh, and that may not seem like a lot, but all 30 of them went and started a band, started some other band who ripped them off. And maybe the, and like you may not have listened to them, but the bands that you listen to like them, or the bands that you like, you know, like it goes back a little ways. Yep, you may have to go digging for it. Uh, but you can certainly see the DNA. And if and, and again, if I had to, like, based on what I watched, if I had to figure out what part of the equation, um, you know, how this fits in exactly, it feels like other shows like um, like your Star Treks, for instance, really, um, they lived or died based on their characters. And uh, as much as there are a couple of characters to latch on to um, here and, and a couple of performances, it really feels like this was the show that began to pride... Uh, to to pride itself on its ideas and on its structuring, where the structuring became almost part of the point, even though, as I understand, they did have to adjust that as they went. And it it doesn't feel like until after Babylon Five, you start to get shows where, uh, where that long form storytelling comes together with strong characterization in a way that feels complete. Which this doesn't quite to me, based on my sampling. Uh, but uh, I I think that a, a lot of what it gets right is really laudable and ahead of its time. Yeah, I think that's that's uh, an excellent point. And um, the the when I think about the characters on Babylon Five, because I do connect with these characters a lot, and I think I'm not gonna lie, probably not the insignificant part of that is that I watched this when I was a teenager and hadn't seen very much other other sci-fi, and we didn't have cable, and we didn't have uh, I think we had a we had a VCR. So, you know, we would go to Blockbuster and pick up VHSs. Um, but we hadn't seen a lot of serialized television. And frankly, people hadn't made this kind of television yet. So we didn't have anything else to compare it to. I was very comfortable with, you know, I enjoyed uh, uh, Hercules and Xena and like some campier things, bigger performances. I, you know, I wasn't noticing when somebody like kind of is... You, you can. It's like almost like the, the, in the in the pilot, there's a couple scenes where somebody, it's like you can see them call action off screen and then they start moving you know like there's a few you know kind of moments like that in in some of the early going of the show that i just wouldn't have noticed i wouldn't have been aware of um but i mean so for me i do very much connect with with some of these characters of of delen of lando and jakar and um you know there there are very memorable personalities for me with with this show um but like you say the the structure of it and the way that it approaches some of these very popular themes and tropes like this notion of the, the prophesied hero and i i i'd love some of your thoughts on this row and how they 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 have their prophesied hero and then they um get rid of him in season two to cast somebody else as the lead uh and work around that but um or the 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 star-crossed lovers or the the villains who are going to become best friends you know the way that it approaches some of this stuff and marries it with really dark themes. I mean, everybody on this show at one point or another is basically a mass killer as you know, they have, they all started like a genocidal war basically. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't quite go that far, but at a certain point, every major planet in the galaxy goes up in flames and the characters are in some way responsible I mean, Delenn started, was the deciding vote in the let's slaughter all the humans. 
and uh, yeah. in her backstory. And then Londo, a big part of his story on the show is him starting again a, a, a genocidal war with his empire and Jakar certainly doesn't have his hands clean either. And we have, you know, there's, there's the fact that it makes us interested in and really care about these characters, um, despite that. And at least for me, never feels the need to excuse them or, you know, make them so cuddly. I think the way that they handle Londo again, it's been a while. I watched a bunch of episodes for this, but I didn't watch all of it. So maybe I'm forgetting some stuff, but I think they do a pretty decent job of, saying, yes, they're this and they're also this, in a way, especially for early 90s TV. Yeah, yeah. the, the cuddly Londo of season one just doesn't really exist anymore after he makes his tragic decisions through season two. And he'll be funny again as the show goes on, but he's never actually becomes like the class clown that he was early on. Uh, that's that's an interesting choice because he was basically the only good thing about season one in a lot of ways. Um, and he's still, you know, arguably the best thing about the show as it continues, but he's the best thing in a tragic and dark way as opposed to a um, the only actor who seems to actually be having any sort of fun whatsoever. Well, and I think there are also some really effective... Um, for, for me, I think of the show and I think of some, its creepier elements. I think the way that they engage with like the idea of telepathy and the, and the psychor, um, like I always... One of the first things I think about when I think of the show is I think of the psychor, I think of Bester, and some of that is Walter Koenig's just deliciously over-the-top performance. Um, but also I immediately go to Ivanova and her backstory with her mother. That's another... That character of Ivanova is one that I really appreciate because from the very first moment in you know her very first scene she's second in command from the first moment you meet her she is um competent respected by her peers actually more than competent very good at her job she's a pilot so she's an active like physical presence in this world as well as being very intelligent but she's also and she's very formal in her demeanor but she's also very feminine as well. They they specifically have her in business mode and then casual mode. And so she feels like a character, one of the first characters I can think of, earlier characters in sci-fi um, t- TV that has, that is not defined by her gender and is not, does not, is a military commander whose femininity is not stripped away from her in, a, in an attempt to make her powerful the way that you could say that is for a character like starbuck in the new battlestar galactica and and you know a lot of other they tend i feel like you know this is from the perspective of someone who growing up tried to find female sci-fi heroines that i could dress up as halloween (laughs) uh for halloween who weren't wearing a bikini um or just felt genderless to me because they were so made so masculine that it felt like the the character, you know, which is great one or two times, but after a while, because it gets kind of old. So I really appreciate something like that, like a, a character like Ivanova, even if maybe it's not the best writing ever and not always the best performance. Um, I really do connect with, you know, details like that and how her backstory is immediately in the pilot and compelling. The uh, the thing with uh, with Ivanova is um, I now that you're saying all that stuff, I definitely appreciate it. Uh, in the sense that you know we're always we're pretty much constantly talking about um, about depict you know gender relations on TV and gender depiction and all that stuff. So my radar is pretty much always pretty high up on that stuff. And I usually when we, whenever we go back to the mid '90s, I sort of just take as granted that I'm going to be rolling my eyes a lot uh, at whatever um, because that's just how it goes for the most part. 
Uh, and I will say that I, as much as I did not find, um, I think a, a lot of the sort of second string characters didn't really come through for me as being super memorable. Uh, but I will say I didn't roll my eyes at all. Uh, so that's, that's, that's notable. <laughs> it's sort of hard to go back and look at that again, because like, um, I watched it initially as it aired as a teenager and then I watched it again in like the 2000s and then I reviewed it in the last few couple of years and so I've had sort of um, constantly changing um, expectations of what the show has and can do and with Ivanova it's sort of gone from like her as embodiment of some sort of um, uh, effective woman on a on a TV series into um, sort of a, looking at the production of uh, how she's acted and how she's written and the that intersection because she, Claudia Christian is given a lot of really bad lines that she makes them work. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, a very it's a very strange marriage of the JMS his writing style because it's almost always his. He didn't just create the show. He wrote the vast majority of the episodes, including essentially every episode from about two-thirds of the way through season two to the very end. And he gives her all these pithy one-liners about how Russian and cynical and so on she is. And Claudia Christian almost always makes these lines work. And I find that she's a really impressive performance is sort of where I've come to, um, even though she's not always that impressive of a character. Yeah. Well, and again, when it's interesting to think of the show in contrast, maybe to some of its peers and some of even a, of its successors. And I, maybe this is a way to dip our toes into the, the whole DS nine thing. I don't know how much we want to go into that. We don't have that much time, but um, if you compare the women on this show, because this is uh, feminist me talking. I always think about this when I'm reviewing my um, my childhood TV. If you compare, you know, you have you have uh, Ivanova and you have Delenn and you have Lita and you have some of these other recurring female characters to, I don't know, TNG. Um, I love the women on DS9, but they, many of them were, they found excuses to dress them sexy all the time. Um, these do feel like people who are much more they feel like they're much less defined by their gender and more defined as individuals than the, their, their parallels on other shows of this time period in a way that I, I appreciate. I think this is true, especially with TNG. I think Teach Face 9 does a little bit better. Um, but yeah, the women of the next generation are uh, very specifically feminized in a weird way that, mm -hmm. um, yeah, Ivanova and and to a lesser extent, Delenn don't really have. Yeah. Let's dive in with some of my favorite parts of the show, because one of the things that, and, and of course, this is something that they have only so much budget and they have only so, you know, so much potent, potential to really work with this. But I think one of the things I most appreciate about Babylon 5 is that, um, like I said earlier, there's stuff on the show that is, at least to teenage me and now through nostalgia still is really creepy. And the, the way that they handle the psycho, I think is one of those things. It's very effective, but we got to talk about the shadows and the fact that this is a show that has aliens that look alien. These are giant space spiders and they're freaking creepy. The thing that I really appreciate about, uh, one of the things I really appreciate about what I've seen of Babylon five 
is the fact is is its tonal variety like yes you're right we get aliens that don't look that are not typically anthropomorphized in any way which is cool uh and there are a few species that are like that um and it does get dark and like conceptually and in terms of like concrete things that happen on the other hand some of it is really really silly and i don't mean that in a, in a disparaging way uh and i think that's something we've lost and you can because the silliness in Babylon Five is not. Awful. No, no. Oh, sure. I, I'm I'm sure that there are things that are silly in a bad way. But I think something that we've lost uh, in the last little while, um, and I think that's something that Straczynski is kind of bringing back a little bit through his work on Sense Eight, maybe, which will I'm sure we will we will or are soon to talk about that more at some point in the near future. Uh, is the willingness to go out on a limb and be. Uh, and have that tonal variety and be kind of playful. I mean, Jack the Ripper shows up. <laughs> I mean, that's and it, and it, it's and it's taken completely at face value. But on a conceptual level, it's so ridiculous that like that's the sort of thing that you cannot imagine anyone trying uh, these days, or anyone except Straczynski. Maybe like we're so uh, as as wonderfully diverse uh, and. And as many sort of delivery methods have come out for TV in the last little while, we're still too in love with the po-faced, uh, you know, why so serious prestige everything uh, that we're sort of too afraid to do things like that anymore. And that's the stuff that really stood out to me. Or we can go a little further and just say that you couldn't have a situation where Jack the Ripper would show up in the future because there aren't shows set in the future really anymore. Also no. that. <laughs> We've got like a handful of sci-fi shows that are set, and they're generally closer in the future. They're not the wide-ranging space opera either. Yeah. This is where we once again mourn for the fact that Stephen Denight's incursion never happened. Yeah, um, one day maybe. Hopefully, fingers crossed, Simon. Yeah, it, it, the the number of shows. When I think back, uh, I was spoiled growing up in the '90s. 90s with sci-fi because there were so many shows with spaceships and with aliens and uh, there really were a lot of there's a lot of really great sci-fi from the 90s or at least very fun and entertaining when it's not always great um and that is something that i miss and i i miss a show being willing to have potentially silly ridiculous aliens and that's something that happened on both uh babylon 5 and ds9 too you know i very, I love both of these shows in different ways, and I have fond places in my heart for both of them. Um, but yeah, I mean, to 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 be willing to take a swing, and who knows if it'll be a miss. But like you say, Jack the River shows up, and it's one of the most dramatic episodes the show ever did. Um, this is a show that's comfortable being silly, like you say, but it's also comfortable doing very kind of epic, tragic stories. And I love that that the show seems to. I mean, obviously things get darker and things get more serialized and things get more intense as as it continues, but it values both of those things, and that's something that I definitely appreciate about the series. Yeah, I think it it has a lot of different modes to it, and this is partially just that it has um, twenty two episodes per season, so it can go through all of these different ideas. It's not. Uh, it's not even possible for a show to like stay in the same mode in that way and still really be uh, in any way a dynamic show moving forward. Like you could do that pretty easily with a procedural, but if you want to have different emotional states for your characters, you have to have different emotional states for your series. 
And uh, in 22 episodes, yeah, you're going to have to do relatively lighter, pure tragedy, um, thriller, and tension, and, and so on. And um, so, like, in the episodes I recommended for the uh, TV Club 10, like, one of them's just the show doing straight-up horror. And it's not really even all that connected to the main plot. And then there's another one that's, like, half serial killer, ha- thriller but combined with a sort of meditation on the nature of the self and um, with a delightful supporting turn by the way from everyone's uh favorite guest actor from the 90s uh, brad dorif yes yeah yeah uh which is isn't it crazy how many of the best things he just turns up for yeah there's a lot well, he's in like one of the best episodes of the x-files too which is another show for this yeah, time exactly. Much- yeah exactly um yeah there's some there's some fun performances and maybe that's a good place for us to go next uh do you guys do we have any favorite episodes or favorite characters or favorite moments that we wanted to mention um before we run out of time rowan well one of the things i wanted to say is that the show always comes on its biggest episodes and Growing up kind of with this is my model for what dramatic television should be. Um, it became weird to discover that not every show was at its best at its biggest episodes. Um, and I mean, there there's some variation within that. But like Babylon 5 almost never flubs the stuff that it's been working toward. And I think the only show that I've seen since then that comes close to that is Buffy. Um, largely because Joss Whedon intended to write all of the big episodes and he had a better grasp of almost all the characters than anyone else. Um, but most everything else, you know, I'm like, is this season finale actually all that good? I'm not sure that it is. Um, whereas Babylon 5, it's like when it was going all out, it really succeeded at an incredibly high rate. So, um like when I when with the episodes I recommended for the TV Club Ten, that includes several of these episodes because they're the best and most important, and that's that's proven surprisingly difficult to find again. Yeah, it's always satisfying when you know. And again, and that's why this this model or this approach can work. It doesn't always work. It's certainly you know, look at a show like Breaking Bad and the season that they had very planned out is their weakest, and the season they had not planned out at all is one of if not their best um but this can work if you have you know because i think what happens with this approach of like knowing where the story is going there's a difference between knowing where the story is going and doing what straczynski did with this show which is take as i understand it many years if not you know he sounds like he was shopping this show around in the 80s uh so he had been working on the show bible for a long time before it actually got made. He didn't just map out what the plot was going to be. He knew the characters. Each of these characters has a backstory, has um, has a culture, has a religion, has a series of things that have de- shaped them and developed them over the series. So when when you look at like what is the arc of five year story of the show, it's not just what there's this thing there are these the shadows and the borlons and that's going to lead to this and that's going to lead to that the way that all of these you know flash forward and some of these other lost ripoffs have tried to to do 
it's also this character is going to go undergo this transformation, which is going to lead to this for them. And that's going to make them intersect with that character. These two, you know, just as important to the show is not just this larger war dynamic with the, the Vorlons and, and the shadows, but it's also the relationship of Londo and Jakar from the pilot to the series finale. I mean, the show, again, the show is just as interested in those arcs and Straczynski spent, was able to spend the time to really map all of that out and spend just as much energy on it as he did on on these other plot mechanics. And so that way, when you get the big episodes, when you get the season finales and you get all the threads coming together, they almost always involve as much, if not more character than they do mm -hmm. plot. And I wonder if um, I'm going to, I'm about to like yarn together two things that probably shouldn't be yarned together. But when you're talking about, you know, well-developed genre fiction, with uh with a really really uh with a long gestation period and uh and a sense of, of and a sense of backstory and history and, and also to have that be a success like i wonder if we're not if we're not seeing portents of this sort of thing coming back you know if i think about the uh the the insane response to mad max fury road which uh which everyone freaked out about because its world building was so great and because it was uh so colorful and unafraid to have fun and also to you know, do do a whole bunch of other things right take its character serious seriously etc um to something like sense 8 and then going back and watching babylon 5 i wonder if we're not uh in a year or two going to be on the cusp of a new uh of of a new breed of this kind of storytelling if only because the demand is so clearly there i think one of the things that um, separates Babylon 5 from a lot of the shows that it, have claimed to do similar things is that it's not based on a mystery. When it, it does have mysteries like who are the shadows, what happened at the end of the Earthman Bari War that kind of drive early aspects of it. But it's not, um, that's not the entirety of what's pushing it forward. And that's not why the fans are going to be engaged with it. So if you look at something like Lost, which I haven't watched, so I don't know how accurate it is, but it is something that fan interest in the mysteries was a huge, huge part of why Lost was discussed so much. Um, and that became the thing that people thought of as television structure was have a mystery that gets a resolution. Um, whereas with Babylon 5, it's not have a mystery that gets a resolution. It's have a political situation or have a character conflict that needs a resolution. And then from that resolution, which happens relatively quickly move on from that to the next phase of the story. So Londo and Jakar sort of represent their their various empires and are their rivals. Those empires get in a war, one of them wins, one of them loses. The next phase of the story is how does the rebellion against oppression take place? And that becomes its own story. It's not the driving story is not the premise, mm -hmm. which I think is an absolutely critical thing that so many shows that claim to have this structure miss is that mystery is just not that interesting of a premise. Well, and again, this is when you sketch out the storylines for the show, they're nothing new. There's nothing. It's nothing we haven't seen before. I mean, especially when you look at the larger scale I mean, a chosen one narrative, prophecies, um, the two older, more powerful civilizations using other civilizations as their pawns. I mean, like this is all stuff we've seen before. And, and you know, like the, the there's a lot of Lord of the Rings in here. There's a lot of other other narrative, but that's you know it's, that's not to the show's detriment. That just shows 
the 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 thematic ties that this that the series is exploring is nothing that hasn't been done before and won't be done again they just do a better job with it they're not trying to come up with some quiz that the audience is gonna have to not you know is gonna try to solve that's not what this is this isn't what is the dharma initiative this is what happens to people in, in under pressure in these interesting ways and in these these types of using types of storytelling that have been around forever and will probably always be around. And this this ties it back in with Sense Eight, which seems like it's you know yet another post lost mystery show, but it doesn't. Sense Eight has a premise of you know people are mysteriously connected. Who knows why? There's some sort of conspiracy. Blah blah blah. But it's not that interested in that. It's interested in how that may, affects these people's lives. It's about what how what their response is to that. And so people call it slow, which maybe it is, but it's because it's trying to tell the story of the characters and not tell the story of the conspiracy because the conspiracy is not the most interesting part of these things. And it's also interested in banging. Oh yes. <laughs> Which Babylon well, 5 is very much not, which is interesting. That's very true. Um, there's, there's always some fun things with the with the Minbari that come up every now and again with that. That's very tr- uh, very, very uh, hinted at and in interesting and entertaining ways. But, um, but we are out of time. So do we have any final thoughts on Babylon 5? Uh, Simon, I'll throw to you first. Um I, I will say that I mean I, I enjoyed every episode that was on your that was on your top ten. Um, not so much the pilot, which was not on your top ten. So I sorry, not the pilot. Uh, so you obviously did a very good job. I think the Brad Dorf episode was probably my favorite. Um, I forget the name of it right now. Uh, you, I'm sure you know it. I think that's Passing Through Gethsemane. That's yes. the one. Which um, is a very JMS title. Yeah, it's really <laughs> it's so hard to pull off that uh, that 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 sort of like religious slash literary portent vibe uh, and not come across as pompous and awful. And the episode actually does that. And uh, I think it, I think it's, it pulls off the, uh, the, the sort of um, the wonderment that good, uh, that good meat and potatoes sci-fi is supposed to. And, uh, and that's about the highest praise that I can give. Um, I, I really, really like that episode. And uh, I, if, if I was really, really, uh, really bored for uh, for several weeks in a cabin. I would have no problem probably watching the entirety of this. <laughs> Rowan, any final thoughts? Um, there's a tendency in people these days in the age of Netflix and DVDs to want to watch shows all the way straight through every episode. And that's a really bad way to try to watch Babylon 5 um, because the first season is awkward is uh, probably the best way that I can phrase that, um, especially like in the first six episodes or so. Um, so I highly recommend figuring out how to skip episodes, how to force yourself to skip episodes if you want to try to get into the show, because it is worth it. But it's not not necessarily pleasant early on. Um, in my first review, uh, or my review of the first episode, um, which is called Midnight on the Firing Line on the AV Club. Um, I have kind of a guide to skipping the first season, and I highly recommend that if you want to try to get into Babylon 5, you you push past completionist tendencies, at least for the initial viewing, and then uh, get into the good stuff before you force yourself to slog through the bad stuff. It gets you know the characters, and that will help you as you go through it again um yeah. because then you'll just have be more invested in who these people are and so you'll be able to to maybe look past some of the 
you know, yeah. the, the, the mid nineties, everything, all the nights are, are neon kind of thing. And yeah. Um, and the yeah. DVDs are also very poorly, like, yeah, they're not good. Um, ripped or whatever. The the special effects and especially the first season DVDs are just not put together right. So it looks uglier than it should, and that's just not good. Like this is a this is a series that like pioneered the use of computer special effects, and they look awful in the first season beyond how normally awful they should have looked. Yeah, a lot of the the visual effects in this look like the the cutscenes from a video game maybe 10 or 15 years ago right. yeah probably where you know so it just just know that going in um like as i was watching this i the number of times that i would just have to tell myself kate it's going to be okay you know they had no budget they would have used real musicians if they could they had no budget <laughs> uh the scores was you know gave me a, a bit of a hard time uh, because it's so fake, horny, especially in the earlier seasons. They just, you know, they, it gets better as it goes along. But they had no budget for real musicians early in the day, uh, early in the days of the show. But I do think it's a very interesting show. I think there's a lot to, to. I think it has a lot of merit. And I think the way that it's interested, again, in these themes and these ideas and exploring these people. This is a show that, that is interested in people sit around a room and argue about stuff and talk about politics. It really, it, the way it lauds di diplomacy and, and negotiation in a way that, you know, TNG did a lot of sitting around a table talking. This is a show that really cares about the characters that most shows are maybe a guest star for one episode or two on a show like the West Wing on a show like, uh, like uh, Battlestar Galactica, um, this show cares about those, you know, negotiations and those types of characters. And so I really appreciate that as well. And I'd like them to, I would like them to, I think, remake this as a show. There's talk of it being a film and I think that's a terrible idea, but I think this is the kind, maybe in another 10 years or something, there is a great show within Babylon 5. I don't know if it could happen again, but. I think the remake t talk is tough for me because I think that, what, as you as you mentioned earlier, when you were talking about how these stories have, they've been told before. Like it's not the story itself that makes Babylon Five interesting. It's how it was telling this story in the '90s with the constraints of pseudo network television, with having almost no budget, with having to like reintroduce the storyline of every episode in every scene. Like all this stuff just makes it so part of a time and that it transcended that at all makes it really difficult for me to think that a remake would be viable. Um, like what I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's tough. It isn't. Yeah. It isn't screaming out for it. Cause there's some stuff that you just want to fix. You want to give them more money. You want to go back in time and give them more money or just, you know, just take, JMS aside and be like, dude, just get a writing part, get a writing part. I mean, you've got so many great ideas, but some of this dialogue, man, um, it's tricky, but it's certainly an interesting show to see and an interesting conversation worth having. And thank you for having it with this Rowan. Where can our listeners find you and your work online? Um, you can find me on Twitter at Rowan Kaiser that I usually link to most of my work. My TV stuff is almost always at the AV club or I am currently reviewing sense appropriately. Um, and all my Babylon 5 reviews there as well. Uh, and I also have a Patreon at patreon.com slash Rowan Kaiser, um, where 
I can write things that editors don't want me to write. <laughs> Stick it to the man. Absolutely. <laughs> well, again, thank you so much for coming on, Rowan, and thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. Mm-hmm.